Hello, fellow dirt bikers and friends. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, co-hosted by me, Corndog, and my good buddy, Eric. We want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. On the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, we talk dirt bikes. (laughs) Yes, dirt bikes. We talk about our experiences, different races, different organizations, bikes, gear, and always try to get a fun and exciting guest to join in with us. Now, grab a drink, kick your feet up, lean back, hold on, because here we go. Here's Corndog and Eric. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast. This is the Desert Dirt Biker. Uh, This is episode 12, June 27th, 2020, and we are back in Eric's house in his studio. Nice studio. Thanks, man. Anyway, Eric is back with us. We missed you, buddy. It's good to be Uh, back. You were on vacation. Um, How was that? It was awesome. You know, we uh, loaded up the car with the family, drove out to South Dakota. So it was a bit of driving from Nevada here, but uh, drove out to South Dakota, did the whole Mount Rushmore um, trip and saw a bunch of sites out there. The, the kids loved it, you know. We went with some of my family, brothers, parents and stuff, and so we had all the cousins there. And we just had a good time, man. We were gone for about a week, rushed, uh, cut, the short, cut the trip short a day to get back for the Silver State 300 that yeah. we just raced this morning. So we, all, we are all part of that today. Stoked to be back and uh, back with you. I missed you last week for the podcast, so but you guys did a good job. Yeah, Ashley we, did we, a good job on the fill-in. and We went on the road, and so we were in Glen Helen. You were out having fun, and yep. so we decided to go on the road and have fun, too. <clears throat> How was your race down there? Oh, the race was phenomenal. SRA, GP, that's... That Glen Helen was phenomenal. It was a good time, huh? Yeah, it was great. I can't wait to go back. So Yeah, some of the pictures looked really good. So plan on cool. it. July 19th, SRA. That's the next one? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Glen Helen, so taking you. I don't care. I don't care what you have to do on Sunday. I'm taking <laughs> you. We'll, we'll look at the calendar, see if we can <laughs> squeeze it in. Uh, anyways, so uh, our guests tonight are Patty and Chris Blaze, or Chris and Patty Blaze. Uh and they're here in town for the Best in the Desert Nevada 300, and we all kind of had a part of that uh, today. Patty raced a quad. Eric raced on a team in the what class? Expert Open. Expert Open. Yep. And then I chased all day for Tyler Stevens, or Taylor Stevens, <clears throat> and the girls' team, which my girlfriend's on the team, but she's out injured, so two girls did the whole thing. Um, Sierra Shaver and Shania Stevens so chased them all day I think the girls ended up in third we had a couple mechanical issues real quick but yeah it was an awesome day um, the the dust was a little bit heavy and it, the course was fast was uh, it smoke or dust both <laughs> so we were lucky to even race there was a big wildland fire just just uh, south of the start yeah, actually ended up having to move the start of the race. Big, on race big kudos to Best in the Desert yeah. and BLM for yeah. allowing the race to still take place. And big changes last minute, and they made it happen. It was awesome. Um, so yeah, kudos to those guys. 
the race went off flawless and uh, we all got to race back mm -hmm. to racing after the COVID. So anyway, um, we enjoyed it, but let's get in with welcoming our guests, Patty and Chris Blaze. Welcome guys. Yeah. Thank hello. You. Thanks for having us. All right. Yeah. What are you thinking of this hot Nevada desert up here from? And we're used to this. Cool. We've just, we've never been to Caliente in June. It's just usually in March and March and April August. And well, or later. No, August for the Heron Hound, I forget, but as spectators. But um, no, it was pretty dusty today, yeah. more than usual. Yeah, right. dust really hung. Way back. dusty. But yeah. not enough thunderstorms in between everything. We <laughs> haven't had yeah. rain in it's been a while. A while. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It it tried to rain pretty good a couple nights ago and that's probably what started the fire. Yeah, lightning probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was out riding my mountain bike and I seen probably twenty strikes within half hour out there oh out gosh. that direction. So Wow. Anyways. Yeah, so. but no, we love coming here. It's so beautiful. It's so different from you know, California and the city and all that. Um, Feels like freedom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's surprising how many people we know from racing that live, you know, in the areas up right, here. Right, right. So, yeah, no, it's a, we love coming here. That's why I it's moved nice. here. I was always here racing and yeah. finally got a job. And yeah, we got corn dog out here. Oh, so that's so awesome. We moved out a couple yeah. of years ago. We might yeah. be next. Chris is looking around going, look at that big shop. Look at that big shop. Hey. You, can, you can have a good shop. We could use some industry out here. Some jobs. Yeah, I yeah. bet. Yeah. I bet, yeah. <clears throat> well. <laughs> Anyways, well, let's get into your guys' story, where it all began. I mean, where you came from, how you got into dirt bikes. Just uh, let it roll. Start with you, Chris, I guess, because you're the... Well, so my dad's been a technician, a motorcycle technician forever since he was a kid so that's he went to MMI and started with that and I mean I think we started I started riding at ATC when I was three years old wow. and we always just went out camping my dad did this it was like the FRA Enduros like a family racing association they had an enduro like once a month I mean where was that at just um, California, California. Yeah, SoCal. It was just you know this, we always went to Cern and Red Mountain, pretty much for everything. And they had an enduro every single month. Cern Valley. It was a cool little series that my dad liked to race. Huh. You know, it's old school timekeeping, and that got us out the once a month to go camping and riding and enjoying it, you know ourselves as a family. And I mean, we did that forever, <laughs> pretty much. And then until I was 15 years old, I think it was the first time I even did my first race. Nice. So, we didn't, we, I mean, we, my dad liked to race, but he didn't really want us racing as kids. He <laughs> wanted us to learn how to ride first, which I think is a, a lot of people's mistake. They want to race before they really have the skill and know how to ride first to be safe. And, <laughs> but everybody, who doesn't want to race, you know? Like, right. Right. <laughs> So it came pretty natural then. Yeah, yeah so when we in. first started yeah. racing, it was, you know, we just went a little faster than we should have probably, <laughs> but we had the skill to, you know, take care of ourselves pretty well. And yeah, like 15 years old, I mean, we went out, went out and I mean, I did really well right off the bat. That was at one of those races you Yeah, first we used to just do the Enduros. I didn't even know desert <laughs> racing existed. All I knew that about was Enduros. Cause back then you didn't really have internet you didn't have much of anything to really know what was going on. And when I turned 18, actually at 15, I worked at my dad's dealership. I worked in the parts department 
So he owned a shop? Yeah. He didn't own a shop. He was just a technician there. So, oh, okay. Um, the owners were really cool. I mean, I was, I was always a hard worker, so they hired me in. I mean, I remember that at 15 years old, I had to get, like, the worker's permit from school and the whole nine. Right, right. And I worked my butt off there, and I was a really good employee. They liked me. And my dad's friend, um, Ray Conway, he was his um, service rep forever. So he came in one day and he was talking to my dad and said, "Hey, I'm looking. I'm, I'm not going to be your, you know, the service rider, your service manager anymore from Honda. He was this, the tech that would come around and help the dealerships. Mm -hmm. And he said he was running a service shop at American Honda and he's looking for a kid. He, he's like, they, we have all, for some reason they have all these high paid or high paid technicians running around errands, you know, getting gas and." wiping down bikes and all that stuff. And he's like, I just need a lot lizard, you know, like the old days. <laughs> my dad's like, hey, my son's in there. He could use a better job than, I don't want him to get stuck at this dealership forever like me. Right. <laughs> so literally I had just heard, I, was, I wasn't 18 yet. So Ray told my dad, just going off his word, he's like, well, I got to interview a bunch of people for the job pretty soon, but I'll hold it off until he's 18 because I can't hire anybody under 18. And we had a little interview in that, I think it was a few months, three or four months later. Mm. So we held off, put it off a little bit to make sure so I could get the <laughs> job, I think. So um, he pretty much hired me right on the spot. At yes. American at Honda. At American Honda. Yeah. And which where, is cool. where's American Honda at? So American Honda's in Torrance. Torrance. Their main facility is in Torrance. And we lived in Orange County, um, grew up in Stanton. It's about 25 miles, I think, okay. to Honda. So it wasn't too bad. Uh, I was still in high school when he hired me. So my boss, Ray Conway, would stay. He lived in Rancho Cucamonga, so he kind of made his own schedule as the boss, of course. So he'd come in, you know, instead of being there at 8 o'clock in the morning, he'd come in at 9 or 10, and then he would stay to like 6 or 7. So I could come after school, get there around 3, and I could get at least, you know, cool. four hours in. He would kind of wait longer so I could get a couple more hours mm -hmm. in and make it worth the trip until I was out of high school. And then I just, nice. I literally started there at the bottom. I you mean, were just like a I was a lot lizard, and... run around guy, do all the grunt work. Go get everybody coffee. Whatever, it, whatever <laughs> they wanted done. And they kind of, um, I was the guy, they, they shuffled me around, you know, when all the other departments at the, the service shop, you know, did work for. We had advertising department. Uh, Johnny's part, Campbell's, the race team was right there. Mm. Um, warranty department, just everybody, you know, magazine guys. So they would kind of, they would ask for help, and I was the first guy. If I had time, they would just say, okay, Chris, go help them. So I made a lot of friends that way, nice. you know, and I, I just got to work hard if you want to move up the ladder. So Absolutely. I always put my, you know, best foot forward and uh, made a lot of friends and everybody you know I went up moved up the ladder pretty quick and then <clears throat> and were you racing at the time you know, I there? was really not racing much so when I first got hired on I didn't even know there was desert racing some of the, the other mechanics there said hey we're going out to the jackrabbits race in Lucerne for district 37 I'm like what are you talking about there's races out there <laughs> you know and I'm already 18 and a half years old I think yeah there's a there's a whole schedule and they showed me the schedule I'm like wow there's like 40 races a year well his dad didn't really want him racing he didn't really want me us so race he so he never really him. told us uh, about this yeah at all. what year was that you think that was in the er, 
so like 90, late 90s, late 90s, yeah, 97, oh, wow. 98, yeah. in there, because yeah, that was right in the beginning, and then, um, so I went out to the first desert race with all the other guys from the shop, and I entered in the novice oh, this class. This is really funny. <laughs> so that was the first time ever doing a bomb run, which is like <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. So I didn't get a good start, of course, because I just kind of wussed out, I think. <laughs> and then, you know, I had I was able to ride pretty well, so I just started passing guys. And, of course, I passed all my friends that I went there <laughs> that invited me. <laughs> and my first race, I got second overall novice. And nice. I won my class from the 250 two-stroke. Nice. Honda? Uh -huh. Yeah, I had an yeah. old um, CR250. So I won that. And I did really well to beat all my buddies, and then they quit going. They got mad. <laughs> so we did one race, they got me all out there, all excited, and then they stopped completely. You scared them away. And then I wanted to keep going, of course. So I would, I continued going to the races. I literally went there by myself. Didn't know anybody. My parents weren't really involved. They didn't want to, they just didn't want to, they, you know, they supported me, but they didn't really want to go every weekend out to the desert and be that involved with it. Right. So I just went by myself, completely by myself. I pitted myself. I went and, I mean, the next race I went on, I overall the novice line. I just kept winning every single race. Nice. And I come in the pits and I'm fueling myself. And people are just looking like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of evolved into that and I was racing a bunch. And then I worked in the service shop. Johnny Campbell had his own little work pen, mm. you know, and they always needed help. So I needed, you know, I needed whatever I could get because right. I couldn't, I'm just a kid. I can't really, I can't really afford to go racing all the time. Right. I think we've all been there. So I know, right? <laughs> we still can't afford it, but we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would stay after hours and help Johnny out as much as I could. You know, he'd slide me a tire when I needed a tire. <laughs> you know, it just started out at the like I said, at the bottom. And then uh, the advertising guy, the two strokes were popular then. So um, this guy, Eric Krippa, he mm -hmm. ran like the magazine part of all the two stroke stuff. And then Johnny and them kind of handled the four stroke thing. And that was the race team was, you know, right. they all raced and pretty much stayed on the four stroke. There was still the XR 600 at that time. And I would stay late and help Eric out and do whatever he needed. And, you know, I'd get a piston that I needed to rebuild my bike <laughs> and a cylinder or some other parts. And, you know, I just when you're that age and that young and you want to race, you definitely don't have the financial means. You do whatever you right. can. to. Especially if you're that. was way that. more valuable. I'm like, hey, I'll work. How much? I'll work all night if you need some help. Right. If I can get a tire or something. No it's problem. hard to find kids nowadays like that. It seems a lot of people like. don't yeah. really want to work. They don't seem to want to work that hard, you know? Well, and the thing with Chris, like even now, like we both are, like we get we get so excited to go race. Mm -hmm. Like that, that excitement has never left either one of us. So I could just picture him with Johnny being and like that young so excited. It, just like, that's all you think about is racing. Nothing else even matters. You don't want to go hang out with your friends. That's just time away from... You know, making some extra money, working, get what you need to go play. Yeah. So basically, I just worked. Yeah. We hung out a little bit, you know, with some friends once in a while, and raced every weekend. You you become good friends or family with everybody you see on the weekends. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. for sure. You know, you make more friends like, out there, and 
you know, people are just coming over and helping me fuel and doing whatever needs to be done. It was awesome. It's such a different bond. Like when you share something like desert racing, like there's friends that we didn't even know maybe for, you know, we would meet them and we didn't even know if they were married, where they worked. None of that mattered. Well, it didn't matter. It it was just, you meet these people, you're risking your life, you're having fun. And at the end of the day, you all sit around and talk about your race, and you know these people will, will have your back more than people you've known since you were a kid. Right. Because we are sharing this thing, this love that Our we sickness. have. Yeah, I call a sickness. sickness. Yeah, sickness. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely a sickness. For <laughs> well, it is. But, I mean, it's what, it's what we love. And when I'm away from the peop- all these people, you know, it's like, wow, I miss my off-road family yeah. and it's been tough the last few months oh my god! with everything that's going on it's so. been really really hard you know i loved working at honda because the people there like in the motorcycle department there because they love motorcycles right they weren't there for the pay and that because you could go to the auto department and make more money no problem but everybody was there in the motorcycle part because they loved motorcycles right that's all they wanted to do you want to ride bikes you want to race bikes you want to work on bikes Right. And that's just what we did. And then, um, you know, over a little bit of time, Johnny Campbell kind of seen my drive and push, and he just gradually kept helping me more and more. I don't think he was smart. He didn't give me, like, too much at once. He wanted to see how dedicated I was. And like I said, I did whatever it took <laughs> to, yeah. get, to get it done. And, I mean, eventually I had full reign over the shop. I had my own key to get in to his area. That's cool. I was pretty much, you know, make a list of what you're, what's coming out of there, and if they're <laughs> low on stock, he said, order some more parts. You know, <laughs> it's like it was, it was awesome. He took me under his wing, and he totally taught me everything. He took me pre-running. We did Baja. Mm-hmm. He helped set me up with the bike because he knew financially I didn't have really the means to do everything that he wanted to see me do. So he actually connected me with. You know, our friend Chuck Dempsey and some other good riders that could help. Basically, my duty was always to, I kind of usually made the race plan, and then I brought the bike, the race bike, ready to go. And that was my contribution. And then, you know, we always, like, Chuck would help, um, Dempsey would help foot the bill, pay the entry (laughs) fees, you know, pay some hotel rooms and stuff that we couldn't do ourselves. Right. You know, everybody chipped in on the team, but... Johnny was key in putting me and you know getting me in contact. He's like, "Oh, I'll give Chris enough stuff to take care of the bike." And that's his <laughs> part, and then you know, kind of worked in that way. And right. he totally helped, yeah, mold me and do just teach me so much that I still use today. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna have to get down and meet Johnny someday. Oh yeah, it's actually his fault we're doing this podcast. I told you guys before we hit record. <laughs> Because I never even knew what a podcast was, and I, the first one I ever listened to was with Johnny Gamble. Oh yeah, yeah. that's what she said. So yeah. it's all Johnny's fault. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's um, we've known him a long time. You know, this Just, this was all happening with Chris two and three years before I met met him, and then um, yeah, so he was still working at, at Honda when I met him, and yeah, Johnny's. Um, I mean, he sold me my first race bike. It was, you know, he said, here, I got a couple of these we're getting rid of. Which one do you want, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, I'll take that one. You know, let's do that. And I actually bought, I bought my first bike, but 
like I said, they the inside deal was so inexpensive. I I think I literally I race I could race a bike one or two years and still sell it for the same as what I paid for it, you know? Nice. Yeah. So they always took care yeah. of me with that and then, you know, eventually there you get some bikes on loan and doing more and more. Right, right. And that's so. when everybody was racing the six fifties and then when they switched over to four fifty they did the four. They used the four fifty for the like the GPS and that during yeah. my time. We would still ex, they're experimenting with it on but the CRF four fifty to be on the six fifty. I really love the six fifty. That was the XR six fifty is probably the best all around bike I ever raced. Hmm. Just to do, I mean, you'd be surprised. Even that big heavy bike, it was not bad at Heron Hounds and you know some yeah. nationals that were pretty gnarly. It worked <laughs> good. Yeah, and nice. I like that bike. I could go. I could felt safe in like the high speed valleys and that cross grain and stuff. I think the bike flexed so much it just made it easy. Hmm, nice. Easy to ride. So going back a little bit, talking about bikes. So your first race you said you were about fifteen. And then what did you say your very first bike was? So I at what age? Well your so very I started, first. In I started the beginning. out I had an ATC seventy. That and you were at, how old? At three years old. Three years old. And then five <laughs> years old, I had an MR50, Mr. 50. But that was a that had a clutch and a three-speed. Those were three-speeds back then. Oh. And then after that, I went to a CR60. Then I had a CR80, a 125. And then finally, my dad let me get the 250. Nice. And I was about 15. So you pretty primarily so Honda the whole way. Cause... Pretty much Honda. My dad always worked as a Honda dealership. Okay. So I was going to ask where your dad shot. Our motorcycles it. came home in a box. Every bike we ever had came home in boxes. So As far as brand new or? No. As far as pieces. in pieces. The engines apart. <laughs> everything was completely apart. Everyone but my ATC. That was actually brand new. That so came, why, I got why that was that? So my dad worked at the dealership. So what happens is when they take apart an older bike and it requires a lot of work and these people don't want to put the money into it they just leave it there so it would basically the shop would lean sell them my dad would buy them for like <laughs> two or three hundred dollars so they can get the money they put into it right. and then he'd, like, he'd come home and you know unloading the back of the truck it's like what's that he's like this is your new bike <laughs> you know, just, we're upsizing <laughs> yeah, yeah boxes and the wheels and the frame he's like don't worry it's gonna be nice and it's done <laughs> So it's gonna be nice. every bike we were kids, we literally had to build oh, from a box of parts. If you're looking at it, I mean, the engine's not even together. It's just the engine's in a box. Box of parts. And you're looking at it, this is a completely box, full stripped down of parts. <laughs> and it's like, it's going to be great. <laughs> every, everyone all the way through the 125 was all in a box. But it, it, to a point, though, it was good because you you learned. We too. learned everything. I mean, we were young, and yeah. we were assembling our own dang engines. Well, his dad required that of them. He's like... He's just... He basically... He's like... His thing was, I work on bikes all day at work. The last thing I want to do is come home and work on more dirt bikes. <laughs> so even well, we're, bring me bring even them to me in kids, a box. I think yeah. Once I was up to the 80, we <clears> would do our own top ends ourselves, me and my brother. And my dad would be like, he'd bring home all the parts, and he would tell us, you can come in the house and ask me as many questions as you want, and I won't get mad, but I'm not coming outside to help you. <laughs> and it's like, okay, let's do this, you know? Bring the bike inside. Yeah, I yeah. know, right? 
<laughs> he's like, I'm tired. I've been working on bikes all day. But you can ask me any, any questions you want. I promise I won't get mad. But he wanted you to learn too. So yeah. I mean, that was awesome. And you basically... But that's why you... Because he's like, I show you enough times you should be able to do this now. Just say, Dad, bring me a new bike off the showroom floor. We won't have to do this problem. Yeah. I remember my dad, he, even, he had a lawnmower engine that he mounted on a stand. And he built his own cutaway. He cut away a bunch of pieces on it. And he would show me, my cousins, whoever wanted to learn, he'd show you how it worked. Hmm. Wow. I mean, we had he built it on a nice stand and everything. He did it at work when he was bored. So it was you like an internal wow. view of how a motor Yeah, works. so you could see that. You know, he just used the lawnmower engine, an old lawnmower wow. engine they had. And he, so you could see how the valves open and everything worked. That's pretty cool. That's crazy. You know, you teach all the, anybody that. in the neighborhood, the kids that wanted to come over and actually learn something, he would show you. No problem. He's a good instructor for everything. That's He's awesome. really patient. That's the key right there. Yeah, so. for sure. Because <laughs> it was like me, my brother, all of our cousins, yeah. some of the neighborhood kids, you know. That's really awesome. Whoever wanted to learn. And we were always in the garage. That's just... <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, really good. So moving on, so then you got into that, you worked at the shop, started racing desert, succeeding there. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> I mean, we had a lot of good runs and, you know, just put together solid teams, solid bikes. Um, then I got to the point that I needed a contract. I really needed a contract for my, um, for sponsors. Because I had a lot of sponsors that didn't mind helping me, but a lot of the stuff was through Johnny and the, sh you know, and his deals, right? Which made it easier. I built some contacts that way and some friends, but most of the time it was like, hey, hey, I need this, and he would handle it, and I wouldn't be able to go direct mm -hmm. to build my own relationships. Right. And I got to the point where I needed contracts to get. I just needed something that said that, hey, I'm an official Honda rider, whether they gave me any money or not. Just so I could get money from a gear sponsor, from mm. boots, from helmets, from clothing, at least some of my own personal ones. Right. You know, try to get a bonus structure or something. So was that after you started, you moved up to expert, expert I guess? Yeah, I was an expert. And I started succeeding there. Succeeding and then that's when in Baja said. and Best in the Desert. We started, you know, I ran all the series solo. Um, I won the Ironman class. Then I won pretty much the four-stroke pro class. Like that's when like Daryl Folks and Paul Krause were racing that class and I mean I rode it by myself all those races and I usually finished top three overall yeah. out of everybody. So, so that's where my question comes from that I told you. Daryl, I ran into Daryl. Oh, Daryl. So he told me to ask you why Daryl quit racing. Oh. <laughs> well Daryl Daryl was the king of the four stroke class with whoever he wanted to ride with. And I was the new punk kid, so <laughs> I came out. I finally, so I raced the Ironman class because it was less expensive. But I, you know, we start behind the pro quads, and I couldn't really see my full potential there because I'm stuck in the dust. And I was doing pretty well, and I'm like, man, I just need to race the four stroke. I just need to race the pro class so I can start further up mm -hmm. with the better guys yeah, and get and more I, spaced out. I remember getting... And it was a huge jump in the entry fees. Remember, I would get really mad, and I, we we were like, we need to talk to Casey. 
We need to like, have him move. I, I was gonna. I was trying to get Casey. Like, come on, just start us Ironman bikes one time at one race in front of the pro quads, please. And he's like, but you're the only ones that pa- you're the only guy that passes the pro quads. The other guys don't. <laughs> it's like, come on, Casey, just one time for me. Just help me out. And he just would not do it. He's like, you gotta, you gotta sign up in a pro class if you wanna start ahead of those guys. Of course, that's Casey. He's not getting anybody any slack. Right. So. <laughs> This was gonna be a huge undertaking because the entry fee was like triple the price. It just made everything more expensive. And of course, I'm just a kid, I'm broke. All I wanna do is so I spend all my money to go race. So I talked to my friend at Honda. He was in charge of Pro Honda Oils. And he set a deal up because he couldn't pay somebody direct. So he talked to where my dad worked my buddy, the owner, Doug Slumsky, at the dealership and said, hey, Doug, will you help? We worked a deal out with all three of us to help sponsor me through the dealership. And then, so the dealership, whatever they reimbursed me for, Pro Honda Oils would credit their parts account for basically a little more than half, I think, of it. So I made a good deal for the dealer. It was a good deal for Pro Honda Oils. It was a great deal for me. Right. So now I was able to race the pro class, and I think I went out there the first time and just I think I won and beat. And was that the best in the desert? Yeah, right? all the best in the desert stuff. Because that's kind of where it was at. Honda was pushing more towards that. I mean, they mm-hmm. did Heron Hounds, but that wasn't their main focus. It was best in the desert and Baja, mm-hmm. all the high speed stuff. That's kind of what the 650 was built for and what they wanted to right. promote. I think. So what happened with Daryl? So Daryl, <laughs> I just I gave them a hell of a race every time. And Daryl could not, I, I'm not sure how many times he beat me, but I don't think it was very often, unless right. I crashed or did something stupid. And he tried every partner he could find, hiring anybody, I think he was paying these guys to race <laughs> with them, because he wanted to beat me so bad. And then after a while, it took a couple years, he just gave up. He's yeah. like, I'm not gonna beat him. It's not gonna happen. Like, punk ass kid. Then kid, so he just he decided to I think semi retire then. That's what he told me. I told him you were coming on the show and he goes, You need to ask him and he points his finger at me. <laughs> that kid I can see retired him. me. <laughs> but so. it, you know, at the same time, you know, it's a there's a lot of respect there between Daryl and Oh Casey yeah, we and, always had the battles. Yeah. Which we weren't gonna make it easy on each other at all, ever. I mean, you so. always. I mean, hopefully, most people. I mean, you always respect your competition. They're the ones pushing you. Right. They're yeah. the ones. You're the reason. They're the reason you're going out there every weekend. I don't think I've ever disliked another competitor. I'm the same way. Because yeah. I know how hard it is and how much effort it takes to go and race. And anybody else that's gonna do the same thing and race on the same level has. Right. Yeah. Full respect it's, it's for all me. Respect. Yeah. And I like getting to the finish line and high five and oh yeah, talk, you know, just, bench bench race. And, oh my gosh, and and it's our, fun. With our quad group, I remember back in like, oh three, oh four, oh five, just on the phone all, all week. Come on, you guys, you got to come out. And we, at one point for like a whole couple years, back in those years, we had thirty five quads coming out every weekend. Wow. And that was phenomenal back then. And yeah. these races are hard in District 37. I mean, it's not like, you know, these high-speed roads and no whoops. I mean, it's like right. brutal. After 40 miles, you're like dying, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And and I was always one of those people, like still to this day, you know, trying to get 
I know, I'm like, I know some of these guys are going to beat me. I don't care. We need people. We need to compete. It pushes each other. It pushes me, you know, to be a better writer too. Right. And it's just fun. And it's all about, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of times where I come in the finish and, you know, people aren't telling me congratulations because, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're not happy or whatever. There, there's like a certain group that, yeah. that, get into the drama and the fighting and the argument. Oh, yeah. We're all... I'm out here to have a good time. Oh, yeah. And those people, like, I just kind of laugh because later on, Chris and I will talk about it and we're like, yeah, did you notice so-and-so didn't congratulate me? Yeah, what a dummy. Okay, whatever. (laughs) And, like, we just laugh it off. And I'm still going to be friends with this person, you know. But it's all good. I mean, it's all... It's fun. Competing is fun. Of course, the most competition is with ourselves. I mean, when, when I get beat... I don't think of the other person being better. I just think that it's like, well, I need I to, I need up. to work on myself. Right. And it's like, what do I got to improve on to be better? You know, <laughs> it's like, where did I lose time? What do I got to work on? And what's next? It's, right, right. So now you're racing pro. When did you meet Patty, or how did Patty get into the picture? So we had a mutual friend that um, the father, her father passed away, and. Mm. We went to Gorman out for a basically a funeral to spread his ashes, and that's where we had met for the hmm. first time. Well, and this friend that he's talking about is now his cousin's wife. So, yeah, yeah she was his best friend in school. Yeah, because she lived and now four it's or his, five houses down the street. His and, cousin-in-law. Yeah, yeah. and wow. we were it was friends of friends. I was Chris was there for Everybody that. Everybody in the neighborhood, you know. Yeah, Chris was there for that. Plus, he was racing. Um, this race, was, this racing, was in. Huntington? No, this was a Gorman, um, which is north of LA. It's okay. a right now. It's a, just an OHV area. Well, back then it was. Too. But we all lived in. We I mean, I grew in, up in Stanton. Stanton, Stanton Anaheim, Alameda, yeah. Anaheim's all in the same area. And so we're all the same. Friends. I mean, so yeah. So I. What, what year did you guys meet? What year was that? It was two thousand one. I think so. Yeah. And I mean, I was at the time single happy fine i was in a long relationship with somebody um he wasn't into racing and any of that and i just my life completely changed um when i turned 30 and i'm like no i'm gonna race for the rest of my life i'm never gonna let anybody tell me ever again that i can't do something um so when i met chris i wasn't like it wasn't like oh this boy is so cute you know we were sitting around the fire that night talking about off-roading and he's like, yeah, I work for Johnny and all this. And I knew the name and I knew, and like we became friends and then we found out we were doing some of the same races together. Hmm. And then I honestly didn't talk to him for like a month. And then our friend Nicole, which is now his cousin-in-law, she would um, kept pushing me, you know, oh, you, I want you to call him, I want you to call him. And I'm like, Okay, but I don't want a boyfriend. I just want to be single. I'm so happy. I was married to my dirt bike then. Yeah, and he's young. I mean, at the time, he's 21. And I'm already early 30s. Um, So, and a lot of people don't know we have, you know, that big age difference, but it doesn't matter. No, age Um, is nothing. And then so he, um, I think he went to Baja with Johnny and he was gone for Yeah, I mean, we go pre-run. I mean... Three weeks. When two you weeks. went to pre-run with Johnny, it was you're gonna be there for a couple of weeks. Well, <laughs> right. then he called, or I don't even remember who called what. I don't even remember. 
But we were like peas and carrots after that. Like, I just was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. This guy's really nice. So what? We'll be best friends and go to the races together. And then he just kept coming over and coming over. And he'd stop by on the way home from work at Honda and leave. Because I was on a two-stroke at the time. My two-stroke quad, my 250R. And he would leave me all these, like, chemicals and oils and things that I needed. Like, yeah, this is what you need. I'm like, oh, what a nice guy leaving me oil. Because this stuff's expensive. How many girls out <laughs> right? Oil and what? all kinds of things. Yeah, it was just awesome. I mean, I'm a city girl, yeah, but I'm, I'm such a, like, a tomboy deep down. I always hang out with the boys. The boys are always doing, because boys are always the ones cool having the most fun. So let, let's back up a little bit. Tell us where you started or where you came from and how you got into bikes. Okay, and so it wasn't <clears throat> anything spectacular. I just, you know, we were a beach family. We were always at the beach. We lived six miles from Huntington Beach. So and that's where you grew up. That's where I grew up. And, you know, we I surfed, um, you know, body surfing, board surfing, and skateboards and all that. And I would go with neighbors, you know, here and there out to you know, Glamis or Ocotillo down south, California, um, and just ride around on ATCs and bikes. And I don't know. I mean, it was fun, but I'm like, God, my parents are never going to buy me one of these. They're just not going to do it. You know, I just know my mom is a nervous wreck. She doesn't want me to be on something that I'm going to get hurt on, you know. So, you know, I'd always kind of sneak around and do my thing anyway, but um, when I got a little bit older, my girlfriend would take her family um, camping, and I got on her quad one day, and I was gone for like two hours. I was just addicted, and they thought something happened to me, and I, I felt really bad when I came back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I just was having so much fun. And so in my early 20s is kind of when I started really riding. Um, I didn't start racing till I was 30. Um, my friend of mine talked me into it. He's like, you are, you go ride with us every weekend. You have gotten so much better. You need to race. And I'm like, what? No, I can't. And so I went and watched him at Adelano Grand Prix. And I see all the quads. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I could have beat half of those people. <laughs> the following weekend was the a Grand Prix at Glen Helen, the Prairie Dogs Grand Prix. And I've been racing ever since. And that was in 1999. That's awesome. And on quads. On quads. Yep. And it's, you know, it's grown. Like I said, even at the Grand Prix, we were having what? Remember when we were having it was a lot. 60, 70 quads sometimes wow. on a weekend. And being on that start line was so intimidating to me at that mm. time because I'm like, wow, these rows are just huge. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope nobody runs into me. It was always just the first turn. After the first turn, I was fine. fine. But some of these guys are really aggressive. And so I just had to, Chris was like, you just got to wick it up. You just got to wick it up. And then he, he's like, you got to get off that. You need a faster quad. You need a faster. Warrior. I'm like, I was on a Yamaha when he met me. And he's like, you need, a, you need a 250R. I'm like, okay, all right. You know, and, but then we started going all the same races. And then, you know, of course we started dating. Yeah, we raced every weekend, pretty much. Was, yeah. And the District of Seven had a lot of races. Yeah, the first... We'd race like 45 times a year. Chris yeah. and I both, we would drive from Orange County to the desert every weekend for probably five years. And if there wasn't a race, we went out and rode no matter what. It was like a necessity. <laughs> we, we, if it was only for four hours, you know, in the morning during the summertime. Yeah. yeah, we did all the Enduros, all the desert races, all the Grand Prix. Then he's like, you need to do national. 
Hare and Hounds. Okay, now we're traveling. I mean, it just, it was never, we just, we were just loving life and having so much fun. And, you know, we both worked full time. And then on Friday nights, you leave. we would go out and, <laughs> yeah. and tear it up. And, I mean, we both got so competitive. And, you and know, they, that's awesome to have a couple that yeah. both race because my girlfriend races. Yeah. And I think we hit 44 race events or race weekends last year. Wow. And she's hurt now, so we're, plus with everything that's going on, we've definitely yeah. slowed down. Yeah, the COVID. So yeah. she's off the bike until probably October. Oh, wow. She's actually pushing for Vegas Torino. Okay. So we'll see if she gets strong enough for that. But, yeah. So but like, it's awesome because it's like I was in a long marriage or whatever, and it seemed like it was always a fight. Hey, I need yeah. to go ride. And there was a fight. Yeah. Or it would be a fight to get her there or whatever. Boy, once she was there, she had fun. But right. Anyway, it's just so, so great that we're on the same page. It is, and it just makes, it makes that relate. It makes your relationship just even more fun. Like it's on a whole nother level. Right. And yeah, we're very fortunate and we're very blessed and lucky that we, we share that same love. And you know, we're so much alike with so many things. The way we feel about certain things you know whatever's going on in the world friends family members politics it's like we're always on the same page i mean yeah we fight and bicker like nobody's business but you know i'm I just think everybody i'm does. pretty emotional and he's pretty mellow well, it's like i'm so going riding and she's like you can't go riding we've got to do this and but she understood no then i like, might be mad but no more of us was like i want to go ride too yeah i was like <laughs> i have to go down and go to the family thing <laughs> yeah i'm like no i'm mad because i want to go too i want to go ride but then he started going to baja a lot and i couldn't go a lot in the beginning because i always had full-time jobs and but then i would meet up at the race and um it was know. cool because i got lucky at like honda i mean my boss was more into racing the same amount too they even my boss ray he would go down and pit yeah and so he'd be gone too and it's like well i'm gonna be gone for probably two weeks it's like okay no problem yeah no they time were, off it they was were never so, no questions asked they were so not lenient one bit with, that's good yeah that's good. it was cool for him to work there i i haven't been to baja and we've talked about it several times since we started our podcast eric goes and races it yeah uh so there's a few things that I've got on my bucket list just since we've started the podcast. One nice. to go to Baja, whether it's a race or to pit. Yeah. Get an adventure bike. We had Rob Phillips on the show a few episodes ago. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Do you know Rob? Yeah. So, and now he does the adventure bike thing. So. Oh, that's awesome. I'm supposed to go out riding with him someday or whatever. So now he's got me wanting an adventure bike. And he lives right down the street here, actually. Oh, he does? Okay. Uh. So those two things for sure, and then obviously a side-by-side -side just to have. I don't have a side-by-side, -side, but it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So A lot yeah. of things on the list there. A lot of expensive items on that list. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Oh, my god. And we still, get a, we still need to buy a house. It's like, ah, that's all right. You figure it out. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's and, awesome. And what's cool is we I have Ashley by my side wanting the same things. Yeah. So. It just, it's like I said, it just, you know, it's awesome to have always somebody on your side whether they are there physically at the event um because chris and i you know we don't we're not always at the same place on the weekends i mean it's still like that to this day he's you know he'll go on guys 
four by trips and I'll go to the river with my girlfriends or he's at this, he's in Baja and I'm over here in Nevada or, I mean, it's always been, he was in Dakar and I'm racing Henderson and, you know, just, I mean, we, yeah, you know. we always made it work. She has her things that she really likes. She likes the water, I'm not a real fan of the water. <laughs> So she'll go do that, I'll go do something else, I and mean, but we're both happy. Yeah, no, and it's never... It's like I don't push her to do things that she doesn't like as much, and then she doesn't do the same to me, so, you know, we have our right. time that's fine and separated, doing our own things for fun, and back home doing the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, working and having dinner together. Yep. 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 <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of Baja, tell me a funny story about Baja. Everybody's got a, got a story about Oh my Baja. gosh, there's a lot. He has a lot. We have quite a few. So, <laughs> you know, I'm the new guy, of course, back in the day, so Johnny and um, dude, who's, who's the driver? TJ. TJ. So TJ is the driver. He went with Johnny everywhere. And, you know, I'm the new guy, so I'm tagging along. In their box van. They have <laughs> the, a box In van. the box van. We used to do all our pre-running. we go up to Mike Sky Ranch and just stay there. And those guys would just harass me constantly. You know, I'm the new guy. I'm the, I'm the kid. So the biggest thing, so I had, I, had the, I had the sweaty, stinky feet. That was my that was my thing. I got lucky. I didn't. I never really had the sweaty forehead and the goggle problem. No, it was and always that, from the waist down. He waist was down, just soaking I would wet. Sweat a lot from in, during down. races. It worked fine for racing, but <laughs> after the race, the whole other story. So my socks got harassed all the time. They would throw them outside. You know, they'd throw them be in the hanging trash. in the box van. He's like, you know, they all. I look a little bit late, and they're out in the dirt. You know, of course, so they throw them out of the box, and my stuff stinks so much. Uh, or like, you can't keep your boots in here. You got to seal those things up. So TJ once he took my smelly socks and hung them up right on the door when you open the main door in the box van, because. Anytime we went to a military checkpoint, they always want to look in the Honda box, man. You know, of course. Right. They want to get all in there and see what you got. So TJ hangs up my socks as a test run. So literally, he opens the, he opens the van door, and the military guy hops in, and the socks, like, the wet socks, like, go right across the top of his head in his face because he got to go through them. Uh, the guys in there, TJ was loud so hard. The guys in there, like two seconds, had to smell my my socks on his face <laughs> and my boots. Turn right around and say, "Hey, it's fine. Just you can just go. Get out of here. You can go." And it's like, "Oh, so I never, I can't live that. that one down ever." <laughs> and they used that for a long time, and it worked a lot. It kept us, you know, moving through the checkpoints pretty quick. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh man!" And then what is another one? So the first time. First time I went to Mike's Sky Ranch and did that loop out and around there. You know, we're getting dressed and Johnny's putting on like a vest and I'm, I'm looking at like, what is that? It's not a chest protector. And he's literally strapping on a bulletproof vest. <laughs> a bulletproof vest and then putting it on his chair. I'm like, what is, what is that? He's like, it's a bulletproof vest. For what? What do you need a bulletproof vest? You did not tell me. <laughs> What, I, I need a bulletproof vest to pre-run back here? He's like, well, I got held up one a couple years ago, and they basically took all his money and stripped him down to his underwear so oh, he wouldn't man. take off after him. 
some people in the back here. So he was wearing a bulletproof vest, and I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, what am I doing out here? <laughs> so that was a little freaky, especially when you're 20 years old, you know? Yeah. When you're 20 years old, like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so did you go pre-run anyway? Of course. Yeah. You got to do it, you know? Never had any problem with I was like, hey, you want to hook me up with one? He's like, I only brought one. It's like, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> Good looking out. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So... I wasn't sure if he was doing it for oh, real or he was just trying to scare me, but I think it was actually real. So yeah, real life, yeah. Getting held up in Mexico. Yeah, yeah that he, would be freaky. Doesn't didn't he get held up by yeah, banditos? Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. And they, I heard they they like it, stripped him down so he couldn't chase after him. And they didn't they? I don't know if they. No, I don't think so. No, they but took like all his money and made it. No, but something to, to where him. like they. All he had, I, I thought. That's the story. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, you know how stories change over but the years. He was definitely putting a bulletproof vest on, and I was not too excited about that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a different world. You know, everybody. Some, you know, back then it was more laxy daisy. But well, then... we were there a couple weeks ahead of time, so there wasn't just a bunch of people pre-running. Hmm. I mean, literally, sometimes you never even see any. You didn't see anybody until usually a week before the race. Oh. So even when we went out pre-running by ourselves, there's nobody really else out there. You're so, all by yourself, you know? These guys would go down there, Chris, Kendall, Kellen. Quinn. I mean, I'm just saying names. Quinn, Johnny. I mean, they would they would each go pre-running for the day alone. Hmm. One this way, one this. No chase drivers, no nothing. We didn't have anybody because nobody could take that time off. Right. They would show up, you know, the day before the race. So literally, we would go down there back then with zero cell service. It only worked in like Valley T and Ensenada. You didn't have anything else in between or anywhere from there. Mm. I'd go park down in Valley T, park my truck right by the gas station on the corner, and go do a whole 200 miles Mike's Loop by myself. And then come back. And come back, fill up with gas, and probably do it again or do a half section for the day. And then we couldn't even communicate until we all met back at the hotel. So basically the thing was, if you don't come back, we'll come looking for you tomorrow. If you didn't make it back to the hotel, you know, that night. We'll so did you, did you carry any kind of essentials in your fanny pack in case? Bare minimum. You yeah. had some matches and some stuff if you still don't freeze. Right. We usually always pre-ran in, I was pre-ran usually in a, in a, you know, like an enduro jacket. Kept you more hydrated during the day and stuff too. Right. So... It's kind of the things you learn. You know, you have your basic essentials to survive overnight. That's about it. Well, I know when I go to Baja, I hope I have, I come back with a heck of a story, but hopefully it's on the funny side instead of the scary side. Yeah. So. Well, I mean. I mean, when you're down there for the race, these people that have issues, they make their own problems. You know, they're hanging out at the bars, they're causing trouble, they're talking back to people that shouldn't be, instead of just kind of going with the flow. Right. It's just, yeah, I think I mean, most people down there, they end up making their own trouble. Yeah. Yeah, you still have to respect, you know, you're in a different country and, you know, it's... You know, I I mean, I was used to, used to get in trouble once in a while for speeding down the dang highway way too fast, trying to get back yeah. on your dirt bike and, you know, the <laughs> federale is not happy with you and you just kind of, <laughs> you know, respect them and, you know, do whatever you got to do uh. to, get, to get out of it if you can. <laughs> Have some spare cash hidden away. Yeah, you always have to always carry money with you. 
<laughs> you can get yourself out of a lot of trouble down there by paying your way if you need to. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> but we used to hide money in the helmet. There was money in your boots, money in your fanny pack, in each pocket. Wherever mm. you had parties, you just kind of spread it around. And just offer them one hidden spot. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, sometimes, you know, a regular officer or anybody. I mean, even if you needed help, if you got a hundred bucks, they're going to get you. They're going to put your bike in the back of the truck and get you out of there, you yeah. know? <laughs> huh. Well, cool. Um, well, we'll probably take a little break here. We'll come back. We'll talk about, I guess you went on and raced a car also. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, talk about some other stuff where you're at today um yeah cool some more of your racing career so um we'll take a little break and we'll be back hey guys you got a dog give them something to do while you're out riding pick up an organic antler chew from throw me a bone they have nine essential nutrients and minerals that a dog needs they won't splinter or stink like other chews on the market go check them out at theantlerchew.com it's simple Order some antler chews and go ride. Your dog will love you. For 10% off, type in the promo code, the Desert Dirt Biker. All right, guys, we're back. Woo-hoo. Awesome show so far. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, let's jump back into it. So, Chris, you're at the point of your career where you're starting to go pro and you're looking at a contract. And tell us a little bit about that. So, I was at. All those years at Honda, you know, I, I worked there, so it was easy to help me out because I was already, you know, I was an employee there. I worked. Um, Johnny wanted to do more for me. I asked him. Johnny wanted, he was, he wanted me to be the next guy on the team, to be, you know, 100%, have a signed contract as part of the team. And at that time, Bruce Ogilvy was in charge. And he, they, you know, talked to me. Bruce was always like a standoff guy. I don't think he was sure if I was Cut gonna be the guy. Yeah. yeah. And Johnny was kept pushing him. And I mean, Johnny was, I think, pretty sure that I was gonna get a deal. And he's like, I'm pushing for you. We should be get you something going. And Honda always did because their fiscal years, like the June fiscal year, it's in the middle, yeah. which is really weird for a racing contract right you know it just doesn't work that well for the season, racing department just because it's because that's the way their budgets work yeah. you know yeah. so all the departments had to follow that and all of a sudden well I mean, you i was hoping you know there was nothing guaranteed i was hoping johnny was pushing for it and then they had an announcement and it was somebody else oh. It was a it was dinner. Wasn't everybody at a dinner? They just did, did a whole release, and Johnny was like kind of shocked too. Everybody he was didn't shocked. Really know, and Bruce, they thought it would be Chris, but yeah, Bruce chose somebody else. And I have my own philosophy as to why, but I, I know I, I just Chris don't know. is I, such an honest, honest. I just honestly think a lot of it had to do with the way they raced down in Baja. I just don't think that they thought Chris would be like, yeah, I think I'll end like up... Like to do whatever it took. Yeah. To do what had to be done to win. Yeah. Like, so, I don't know. I That's just my... I don't know. There's a lot of things that we think about, but, you know, I mean, like why. and So, yeah. 
I went another, I was there another year. I ended up moving from the motorcycle service department and I went over to, um, the legal to work for product legal. Yeah. You know, they still had, they still had lawsuits on the ATCs and stuff going on. Hmm. So I was, um, I worked for my buddy, um, Russ, Russ and Phil mm -hmm. and they were the best bosses I ever had. Russ was super into Baja. He went down there and took the company box van to go pit and was they, all, oh, all about yeah. all about racing. That was top priority. Well, even out yeah. here at Best in the Desert, they would do Honda pits. They had Honda yeah. pits. For you know, years. that's back in the day when it was the good old boy group. I was in the service center and they got a new manager there, and he was really being picky about you know, me having the bikes there. Cause literally during lunchtime, I, you know, I had my own little work area during lunchtime. You know, I had a couple, there'd be a bike there and there's a few parts in the corner hidden, you know, and it's bother didn't bother anybody. And the bike would be on the lift doing stuff during lunchtime. Then it goes back, you know, after work. And he started kind of like the new boss of the service center didn't, he just, those studies should be in the pen with Johnny stuff. You know, he got in, I got in trouble once, and he's like, well, you can't have your personal bikes. I'm like, I don't own these motorcycles. These belong to Honda, <laughs> but I ride them, you know? Right. And I just got tired of that, so I went to the, when I went to the legal department, they were all about racing, so, of course, I had almost, it seemed like my own race shop right there in the store. <laughs> and I just had the one, there's two buses. It was great. I had three lifts. I had this whole area, I had three lifts. And my race bike stayed on, you know, my race bike, or two race bikes stayed on the one area. And I handled like all the legal department. They had like 300 units. And then they'd go out and find units because they needed the warning labels that say, you know, do not ride double. They couldn't reproduce the warning labels mm. legally. They had to find units exactly how they came. So they would buy three ATC 110s and I would make one good court case unit that they could take in wow. to for a case to say, look at it, the warning labels are all right here that says not to do what this guy's suing for, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. crazy, and this is 20 years later. Wow. It's still wow. going crazy. on, yeah. and it's like, wow. Those were the okay. three-wheelers? The yeah. three-wheelers, they had four-wheelers, they had some, all kinds of random stuff, you know, bikes that people had accidents on that were suing for something. And, <laughs> I mean, they had a whole area. They had offsite storage. There's at least a few hundred units in there. Wow. And my job was to service some and make sure they're all taken care of and keep everything running when they needed it and move stuff around. It was it was great. It was the best job I ever had. They were awesome. They were awesome bosses. Yeah, they kept, it was, it was kept in touch with them over the years. Yeah. Just, so how long did you time. do that in the legal? I did that a little, probably like a year and a half. So I missed out on getting a contract and I continued racing. They still held me the same that they did, but like I said, I didn't have an official contract from my sponsors to try to get, you know, a little more money, something besides just some product, you know, to try to get a little extra. Yeah. And I got to the point where I was getting really frustrated. I almost quit desert racing because that's when supermoto started getting really big. And I was actually decent at supermoto. So I almost went a totally different direction. I'm kind of glad I didn't because that that fad only went. That was like a five year fad, yeah, and then it right. faded, yeah. and then <laughs> it faded out. So so what roughly what year was this? Do you recall? 2007? Two thousand seven two two okay. three yeah yeah because okay. you got with KTM at oh four two thousand four. So when I was at Honda in the legal department, um, 
Well, now we're... I was still doing all the best in desert races, but solo, now we're, winning. Yeah, now we're talking about... Him and I are talking about, let's move from Orange County up to the desert because we're up here every weekend. <clears throat> and I had just got laid off. Yeah, so she was actually already <laughs> in the desert during when she had time off looking, looking at houses. For, for houses. I'm at Honda. I'm like, well, God, I'm and really I asked set him, here, too. Yeah, I'm like, would you ever leave? Not that I want you to. And he goes, well... And then... But then now all this kind of goes into play. So literally, so. I get I get a letter that actually was it came to Honda for me, which oh. is really doesn't it's really oh. odd because I didn't never got mail because they didn't know how to contact and um, I didn't know what went to Honda. I thought I went Scott to Scott Harden sent out a bunch of letters and invitation to do the rally challenge for the KTM they know, were looking Red for KTM Americans to go to Dakar that's what Kellen right. said right. he did right? yeah. yeah he yeah. got same, because he was one. in the same batch mm-hmm. he so everybody all these guys got the letter and I so had so we'll tell him it was you Kellen Jonah Street um, Andy Greider Andy Greider and who was the guy with the Kenny Bartram Kenny Bartram he Kenny was Bartram. Wow. crazy yeah. dude a cowboy right yeah he was yeah. cowboy Kenny awesome crazy dude so Bunch of us Didn't got, have a tooth got this letter. I literally, I, don't I think know. he had a tooth. No, I think he did. No, I think he did. So at that time, I'm like, man, I'm so, I'm all set with Honda, and I actually, it's like this is, there's no way I can do that. I actually threw it in the trash can, the letter, and was just gonna try to forget about it for some reason. And my brother worked with me. You know, he still was in the service department. Well, now he's so he yeah, come his, hang out with me, of course. His brother you know, is now could. working at Honda. Yeah. And. He came in and I'm like, oh, I got this. He literally grabbed. He's like, dude, you have to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but they are not going to be happy about this if I even go. And I told Johnny that I was going to go and do this. And then, so all of a I sudden, think he was a little. He was a, well. Then you told. I mean, me. they invested a lot of time and a lot of money into me, and Johnny did especially full hands on, and he was really trying to get me as part of the team. But he and this had, is a year later sure after they hired someone else and I was, you know. He understood. Yeah, I, the was, person, so, I was upset. The yeah. person I they hired. Like I worked really hard so. just to yeah. give me a chance. We won't say who it was, but that person lasted like that one, six that months. That lasted that contract. That person well. was like. Mm. And it was, yeah. it didn't work out. Right. But then Chris told me mm. about this letter and I said, you know what? You're going to make the team. And he goes, I'm like, I know, I that's know what I scares am. me. <laughs> he was petrified. Right. So but. I told Johnny, it's honest with him, I'm like, I'm going to go do this. And then the next day, they wanted me to sign a letter of intent for the next contract to give me a Honda contract. Uh, this was after they found out. Yes. After they found out yeah. that I had an opportunity to go do this and get on the KTM team, the next... So was that kind of like a, oh crap, we might lose them type? Yes, because, you know, I worked there, I was kind of set, so... And at the same time... I think they thought, I I mean, I was kind of stuck too. At the same time, yeah, you had a lot to lose. I had a whole lot to lose. But they also were thinking, oh crap, we might be... Yeah. You know, after they teach me all this stuff and spent the time, and it just, they kept putting it off and it was frustrating. I was at that frustration point. You know, I don't think I was 100% ready... But, you know, put me on the B team. We were kind of unofficial B team for all those years. Right. And, I mean, I proved I built my own engines. I built my own bikes with their stuff. I did everything. 
I even built bike. My bikes were faster than theirs, and they were wondering what I was doing because I was modifying stuff and wasn't telling them. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, one time, me and Andy were battling it out, and he's on the factory team, and my bike was five mile an hour faster. And he's like, "What is going on here?" Yeah. <laughs> For my own tricks and messing around myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. But they wanted me to sign a letter of intent, and I looked it over, and I mean, the deal was basically almost worse than what I already had without signing a contract. I'm like, dude, I can't do this. You know, I'm like, I'm gonna go to the challenge and I'm gonna make the team. And you're like, well, okay, if you make the team, that's it. So we and I think she, Johnny we were knew. looking for the house. He knew I was gonna make the team. I think he had faith that I was gonna make the team sure. too. So yeah. he, was, he was cool about it. Well, he had to have wanted to see you succeed. But yeah, I think he, so he too, but you he, of course you wanted, yeah, you he, wanna be, yeah, he wants you to be on the you know, as part of the team, he was right. die. They were all diehard Honda for life, you know. Right. And so we the literally we were got, we were buying a house we in got the, the desert. Keys. We were buying a house in the desert. <laughs> we we're going through escrow. We get the keys to move in, in the afternoon, and the next day I have to go to the challenge for four days. And where was the challenge? And I hadn't even start my new job yet. I was had a job lined up at XRs only. So we literally bought the house. I had no job, and I was going to the challenge <laughs> to try to get on the team. And I don't have a job. Do. I'm laid off, but and somehow, a house. Like, and we bought what? a house. And because my awesome boss at Honda is still referenced as I still work there for to get the loan. Well, and stuff. let's not tell all the dirty secrets because <laughs> you're going to get people awesome. in trouble. But. Yeah. So, so where was the challenge? Like, we'll figure this out. The challenge was in Dumont Dunes, so which is Dumont, out near Pahrump. We started in Dumont. Jimmy and it was Lewis, uh, what it August? Out. It was August, so it was 185 middle, degrees. Middle of summer. And, and they, they had to they sleep. Torture tests. Did slept you in tents. Slept in tents every night. Tents. Did our road books. And Elmer night. Simons would light fireworks and firecrackers all night by the. You guys are jump on. Freaking dirt bikes and doing donuts around us to wake us up in the middle of the night. They wanted to, to see to if they could sleep with and, noise and all this. Crazy. And what year was this now? This is oh, two thousand four. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, two thousand four. And, and they, he's they, only twenty. I was twenty two. Twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Kellen was always. Kellen was two years younger. And so two yeah. Years younger than me. And they tortured test us. I was always. I never like won our little stages. But I was always consistent, right there. And my, I finished the day, and my bike looked like brand new still every day. My tires were good. Um, Kellen was more aggressive, and he usually did better and was faster. But he had his issues. You know, we had flat tires. The bike's a little more beat up. <laughs> and then we had Andy, which would, he would just send it all day long. <laughs> yeah. Like just like. You know, you get passed by a guy three times, and then he's off the side fixing a flat tire. I think one day he had like eight flat tires. I gave him all my tubes. Kellen gave him all his tubes, and then Jimmy had to ride back out and give him more tubes. Jimmy wow. Lewis. Jimmy Lewis, so he could still finish the day. And um, Andy was super fast, but he just he that little bit extra just abused the equipment a lot more. So, did you guys have roadbook experience prior to this, or just like winging so, it? I didn't have any road. I told Johnny when I was gonna do this, and I like I even asked him because he, you know, he's the only one I knew that had any roadbook experience for like the Nevada rallies. Mm -hmm. There was a few. He had been to Dakar before, and he's like, "Yeah, I got to practice little rally out in um, Stoddard Wells." 
by you know, our like house. a hundred mile yeah. loop out there by the house. Well, by our new house. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually took me out there to show it. Hmm. I mean, it's pretty awesome, man. I mean, going out to challenge for a different team. He, I'm like, can you take me out and show me? At least so I have something. And I did pretty good, actually. I did really good on the loop. And I he think, was surprised. Well, I think what too. helped was all those years you did enduros. Yeah, we got, because all know. those years in enduros, you, you know, you get used to riding and still looking down and processing a lot of numbers and things in your head to figure out where you're going. And I did really well. So that was the only, I had a hundred mile roadbook experience before the challenge. So when you're at the challenge, do they give you a bike, their bike? Yeah, we rode, um, they had like those 640. KTM? They were like, yeah, the 640. It wasn't the adventure model, it was something else. <laughs> You know, they had a little fairing on it with the roadbook stuff and no. um, super basic. It but they were all cool the same. Thing. It was nice because all the bikes were all the same. So you just that dealt with cool it, thing. you know, yeah. make it a little more even. So they assign you a bike. You got the same bike every day? Yep. Same bike every day. And they, cool. you know, like Jimmy is really, you know, he's super experienced. He's the one that had the most experience out of anybody, you know. And I think he would just knew what to look for, you know, what he was wanting in a rider. Mm. That they want. So they, um, Kellen was actually the first pick, and then I was the second pick. Nice for the and, team. And for the team, and then um, Andy was our backup. Okay. Just um, I think it just saw us being a little bit smoother and easier on the equipment or something, and that's what they liked. And I think they were they were really actually looking for younger guys, preferably. And I guess they thought they found that with us, so <laughs> it worked out, you know. So now you're cool. you and Kellen and Andy are on the. The car team for KTM. Yeah, so me and Kellen were going for sure, and um, Andy. I think I don't know. They I think they gave him a contract, but it was just as a backup. And you know, we I didn't no idea what like how much am I gonna give? How much are they gonna pay us? What are we supposed to do? But I was happy. It was a, it was a decent. It was a good deal. For, I thought when you're that young. Yeah. Now Dakar is yeah. only four months away. And literally, yeah. And so and then all of a sudden we're going to, um, yeah. Oh. They sent us to Tunisia. Yeah, Tunisia, Tunisia rally. for a photo. No, we didn't do any rally. They sent oh, us to Tunisia for, for a photo photos. shoot. That's right. Wow. In yeah. like November. That's, and that's right. the first time I ever rode. We both ever rode a real rally bike. Mm. At all. It was like oh. holy crap, you know. It's a whole different. How different beast. was it from? I always your... rode big bikes, yeah. so I think it it was an easier Cross transition because you know I rode the six fifty, and I liked the the big single cylinders was fine. Mm -hmm. And we transitioned. I mean, those those bikes were beasts, though. You know, they're yeah. an extra hundred pounds in a normal bike and full of gas. And um, we were there for two or three days doing photos and a little bit of testing. Then our mechanics were there and they practiced swapping engines. We used, so we broke in our main race motor and then our backup motors. And then the mechanics got practice switching them out. Just to, you know. Did it, it feel weird? It wasn't easy. Having different. a mechanic instead of doing it yourself? It was, it was different, yeah. I had my buddy Matt Spencer, I didn't know him. Amazing mechanic, so I brought, I made sure that he went every time with me because he was just that good. We worked well together. He was always happy because I didn't really destroy the motorcycle. So he didn't get stuck doing too much work. Some of the other guys, they bring the bikes in, they're just destroyed and the mechanic's pissed, you know? Right. So he was already on the Dakar team, the mechanic? So he, they, um, Joe Barker, our friend Joe Barker, he knew Matt 
you know, they just spread out the load to figure out solid guys to get. Because this is all in the whole new program where they were starting. Well, and Joe was in charge. Of Joe was, like, managing it. So Scott Harden knew Joe. It was Scott and Joe. And then over and they, there, it was Stefan and Austria that really ran the Stephane rally didn't, team. Well, I thought he was in charge of the rally yeah, team. Yeah, he was, he was, he had been there the longest. Yeah. And then, um. So on trunk and poles. There's a lot of people involved. Prior to it's this a big program, <laughs> prior to them building this program, Scott Harden had raced over there, and Jimmy Lewis, this like they had raced over there prior, or so Jimmy mm-hmm. did back. He was like on the BMW team back in the day. Two thousand. So he was one of the few Americans. Two thousand or two thousand one. To go, then Scott Harden. Um, there was some Paul Krause. Yeah, yeah, Paul and Larry Rosler. They went the year before they had the challenge. Okay. And then, oh, that's right. Larry went. I don't know. They they figured something out. Red Bull put, put the, most of the bill, I think. And they realized, you know, the Americans can do well. Right. And I think they wanted to find a, you know, Scott wanted to push for a younger, get the younger guys that they can mold and hopefully win the Dakar someday, an American. And that's why that's how the program got started. And they wanted to keep investing in us. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. So I cool. get a little felt security there too, you know, as long as you did well and performed. And um, the first year I went out, I ended up getting ninth overall, which was excellent. First oh, rookie for the whole race, yeah. ninth for the whole yeah. race. That's yeah, phenomenal. Um, Kellen won a stage. He won the final stage and yeah. just you know put his name on on the list of very few people. I think I think he was the first one to ever he, actually win a stage. He had, yeah. we actually had him on the show, and he said that there was a guy in the eighties. That was actually Southern California. Oh, Danny Southern La- California. was it Danny? Because there was Danny Laporte and Jimmy Lewis, was it? myself that went, and yeah. Johnny were like the only Americans that ever really go. There was another guy. He's passed away now. It's hard. Chuck Sun, maybe? No. Um, anyway, I'm just, listen yeah, to our podcast. Think, yeah, yeah, listen to <laughs> It's hard to keep track of the history, you know? A lot yeah, of history of this yeah. race been going on. And there's forever. a lot of people, I'm sure, that have gone maybe more. So how many times did you end up going to Dakar? I went three times. Okay. I went three times. So I had a ninth, a fourth, and a third. Wow. And that was pretty awesome. Any stage wins? I never won a stage there. But you were consistent and right there. I had a second and a couple of thirds. I did... The one I got second on, I would have won the stage. I crashed two miles before the finish because I missed a triple danger. Almost killed myself, Ugh. and still ended up second. I was pretty <laughs> bummed because a, a stage win had a good little bonus to it to get a stage win. That would have just sealed it. But um, I just always was trying He's to be the most consistent. consistent person. But then you did other rallies also in between. Yeah, we got to do a few other ones. Not enough for practice. For practice, yeah, not enough. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they just—I don't know. My, my I first... tried to do more. I'm like, I'd love to do the whole, they have a whole series. And yeah. I, they just weren't really like interested. I'm like, dude, we need the practice. Let's send us there. And we got to do a couple. I did Morocco rally, Tunisia rally. I think Tunisia rally twice. Um, Dubai. I got to go to Dubai. Dubai, rally. That yeah. was awesome. So cool. Totally that's, unique. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, that's, that's one of the aspects of desert racing, off-road racing that's super cool is... The places that it takes you right? oh yeah Maybe for sure i mean i can't those kind of experiences you, you just don't get on your own you know those yeah. are just things it's like it's awesome to be a part of a team and 
you know, just to be around those people that believe in you and push you. And it's like, I want to perform and do my best. Right. And it it's was just exciting. awesome. There's all these cool things you get to do and see and people you meet. And then the, <laughs> the last year he went, he was like, I have my own truck, my own mechanic. It's just me. Yeah. Can, he goes, he's like, can you believe this? And I'm all just suck it up just suck it soak it in yeah, soak yeah. it in not suck it up soak and you it didn't, in you didn't get to go with yeah, the last time. no because he's like you know i mean i wanted him to focus right which he's really good at anyway on his own i mean he can really i tune can, me I can out. block out yeah, all kinds of stuff so. but he has to but no i was always working full time and right. um he's like you're not gonna see me i mean we're you know because they're traveling hundreds of miles a day. And it's I, like, it was in Africa it would have back been then. We're in the... kind of a process for me to be there. And I really just wanted him to experience it and, you know, be with his team and no do, do what he's got to do. Go full in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. I would call home every three or four days just for five or ten minutes maybe. It's that yeah. phone and that's about it. Yeah. It's like I, mean, I really don't want to know what's... I wanted to say hi, but I don't really want to know any. I don't well, care I about any know, drama going on or right. nothing happening. I, I just if need it. I'm dead if I'm rich, not hearing you know? from him, it must be fine. Because other people would call on his behalf and, okay, yeah, everything's fine. Well, now with social media, so there's so much constant it's interaction. It's so different now. It's so different. It's actually kind of too much now. Like, it's <laughs> annoying. Like, nothing right. doesn't seem as exciting anymore. You're not waiting and like, wondering what the results are the unknown then, for 12 you know? hours. Like, it's, everything's instant now, and it's like, it's really not that exciting. We're all guilty of that. I hosting right well, I mean, totally. it is exciting. I mean, I do it too, but it's like, I don't know. It would just, it's just different. It's Everything just different. a lot different. I, yeah. yeah. It's just different. Sure. I mean, I do Everybody it too. Everybody instant everything. So. Yeah. so you're on the KTM team. You get signed with KTM any backlash from Honda? Did they they so hear any bad? You no, know, Johnny and no. Jimmy Lewis were best buds. So Johnny knew I was on the team before I even knew. From Jimmy, he said, "I'm gonna choose Chris," and he knew before we were done. I think with the last little stage, and it was like that's it. That was. Yeah. It, I mean, Johnny called me and said, hey, where are your bikes? And I'm like, they're at my parents' house. He's like, well, tell them I'm coming over. Yeah, he's like, I'll be there Literally tomorrow. Pick them up. And that's just what they did. Heading home. That's just how they did it. They make sure no one's taking anything. They went and got all their stuff back. Wow. And that was kind of, you know, we're still, we still talk once in a while or there's no anything. Well, he's no family. Hard I mean, yeah, it's, everyone's, it's family. We're, we're still really good friends yeah. and all that. I mean, you're bettering yourself. You can't. No, and they, can't. I think everybody appreciates that, yeah. you know, yeah. when you stand up for yourself and you do what you believe and you make it happen. It's well, he would have awesome done the same thing. If, yeah. if right. it was, he totally would have done he, the same thing. If the, yeah. um, I think I've even asked him if he would, he's like, I would have went. Of course, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What an opportunity! Yeah. Well, yeah, you know how many people would love yes. that. Yes. Sometimes you gotta make things happen. Yeah. You know, and if it would just been really awkward if I didn't make the team. Yes. Right. And I like yeah. was oh like, oh man, well, can I? Can you still help me, please? You know. And can I get my job back? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. Well, and I it, just, it all I worked mean, out. Literally, I came home, I moved into the him. house, I started my new job, and I had a contract. You know, <laughs> gonna race again, and I got some dirt bikes coming. Yeah. I mean, how'd was, your new job feel about your racing a lot or whatever? Was, uh, well, I told I told them they knew they you know never nobody's ever happy when you tell them you're gonna be gone for oh well, 
thanks for giving me the job, but in a couple of months, I'm going to be gone for a month straight, you know, <laughs> but um, I think I always, you know, like anybody, I always put so much effort into my work for everything I do, right. you know, and most, I mean, I've always had people want me, you know, right. want to work with you. Yeah, and for sure. Let you do your thing. You know, so if I was going to be gone for a month, it was like, fine, but you're the best guy we have. So when you come, you come back, back there'll right? be a job there waiting for yeah. you, you know, we'll just figure out the slack. But that only lasted a year because then he, he's like, I, I just got to work for myself. We're just going to fix it. Well, you know, it's hard to get, yeah. it's hard to move forward working for somebody else. Right. You know, especially when you want to be a motorcycle. Most of those jobs don't pay so well. You do it more for the passion. Well, and you know? where he was working when we first moved to the desert was not a very nice. Um, as far as well, I worked at X. Was well, XRs only. I worked there. Those guys were awesome. They treated me great. They let me do whatever I wanted. Told the boss I was gonna be leaving, and I was gonna be back. And he said, "Okay, you know." <laughs> and I built a lot of race bikes there for a lot of high-end customers because they brought the bikes there. Hondas were the Baja bikes and best in desert. And they knew I knew how to build them. Maybe we should and put a couple of Hondas in him in his box van to take home. You got one, I got one. So I had a lot of you know we had construction owners and a bunch of friends, and they you know you make friends with them and not just customers, you know. And they were bringing their bikes there to have me build them, and finally I got to the point. It's like, well, would you guys, if I did my own thing, would you bring your business? And they're like, well, we only take our bikes there because you're working on them. So wherever you're going, that's what we're doing. That's cool. And it's like, okay, that makes it easier. And you know, it's a scary transition when you just quit mm -hmm. your job and decide, okay, I'm going to do it myself, you know, right. do my own thing. A lot thing. of things changed within a short period of time with yeah. everything. His job, my job, we moved, bought a house. I mean, I'm a Capricorn. I don't do stuff like that. Everything is really planned out and thought out and, and I'm the a little opposite. dragged on. I'm and the she's just I'm like, like no, let's just do it. We'll figure it, it out. And it's you know? going to work out. And it's always worked out. Yeah, but I kind of still scares fly. the crap out of me. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you're taking a chance. You're taking a yeah. risk. Yeah. But it's paid off. But, you know, I've always, you know, you have that work ethic. You, right. I mean, you got to make your house payment, so you do whatever it takes, right? You know how to work. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go into what yeah. your business is. What, how, how that, obviously, that's how it started. Um, what's so, the name of your business? Are you, are so you I actually started my business. This is Blaze Racing Services. And, I mean, I started because that's where I started my S Corporation. You know, that's where all the racing stuff ran through, the contract with KTM. It was kind of just an easier way to get paid that way to work it and then I started selling stuff on the internet I started my little website and then building race bikes and gradually building my you know my network of dealers I could buy from and get dealer pricing on so I could make money on the parts and the labor and mm -hmm. just kind of built it from there and I mean now now I kind of focus more I mean I have my race car in the shop so it takes a lot of my space so I focus more on just engines and big repair jobs. Um, people send me engines from all over the place. I get engines from Canada, Alaska, all over the oh. United States. Just a lot of places you'd be surprised people don't have shops that they trust to take their motorcycle or, or engine for mm -hmm. to have rebuilt yeah. or hopped up or whatever they want to do to it. There's a lot of dishonest. He gets He gets a lot of engines that that it's already. the second, third time that it's trying to be repaired. And mm -hmm. he'll open it up and he'll be like, Just like what they told they you that they put new this, 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 and 
the customer's like, yeah. And Chris is like, well, this stuff isn't new. They lied to you. Just, they jacked it's, you. It's very frustrating because there's yeah. so many. They just give all of us, they get a lot of mechanics a bad name and a bad rap, you know? And it's, right. it's like, dude, you can't charge people for stuff you didn't even put in there. Yeah. Like, yeah, come on. It's frustrating. Yeah, when you, and find... just, you know, and they do it the bare minimum that, you know, I tell a lot of people, if, if you don't want to do it right, then I'm not the person you want to bring it to. I do it right. It's going to cost more. But it's gonna be right, and I can say that you, I gave you a good engine that you're not gonna have problems with. They just want a top end, and the bottom end's got 400 hours. And I'm like, I won't just do the top end, right? Because it's gonna break, and you're gonna mm -hmm. be pissed. Mm -hmm. No matter if you say you are or not, and just fix. I'm like, any other shop will do that for you, no problem. They'll do what you ask, and just want to do. But you're gonna be pissed, and I'm like, I, you know, my business is built by reputation. I'm small. Pretty much a one-man band. I have my helper Kyle and um, this new kid Clayton that I've been working with. It's just us. Your name's on it. Yeah, yeah. my name's yeah. on it. It needs to be right. Otherwise, I don't even take the. I don't even take the business. You know, I think people appreciate that when they hear that. They're like, "Wow, okay, mm. this is." I think this is the guy I want to have working my side. He's not just here to take my money right. and send it out the door. You know. Right. Yeah. And I, I've seen that around at a couple it's of shops. a lot it's, it's frustrating it is I've, I've, yeah. I've been in a shop I won't say names or a shop or anything but I'll be in there with our bike and I'll hear a kid come up say hey we need this part and he'll say well go take it off of that customer's bike that's and what they like, were doing whoa yeah that's what they were doing at where he was at, working for a little bit I'd be building a race bike oh. and in the, I come in the next week and I was like where's the pegs at that I just put on like we need that for someone else We'll have those in another week. I'm like, really? I can't believe you just did that. You know, <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah. Just, yeah so you start your that. your your business and your shop, and you're you're picking up clientele. Are you still racing at, at that time? Yes, because the still basic, the car too. Or I mean, we're we were American racers, and young kids probably didn't really know what to really ask for in a contract, so. I mean, I had to work. I, it wasn't enough to pay the bills, that's for sure, and just train and do every, what everyone thinks a racer should be well, doing, you know? Uh, yeah, so when Chris and Kellen went over there, um, the Europeans could not believe that they worked full-time Monday through Friday and only rode or raced on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, in I Europe, looked at it, that's like, They're really? like, wait, what you, you work? Doing? You have jobs? It's like, and yeah. they're like, yeah. And, you and guys don't? It's like, no, we just train and ride. They just, we just, we just <laughs> ride every day and yeah. make 350 grand a year. <laughs> and that's how truly much more. I mean, you know, the motorsports in, you know, in the European country is way more popular than it is here. Right. It's, it's a different, bigger, you know, it's huh. huge. It's a bigger deal. It's more, it's I mean, like, even desert racing or yeah. rally was like, you know, you're racing here like you're an IndyCar racer or a NASCAR racer, you know? That's yeah. just how they treat it. It's different. Yeah. So, um, you know, once you get a little smarter and I got my third place and I kind of, you know, knew what, I had a little more leverage, yeah. kind of knew what to ask for. And um, they didn't want to pay me what I asked for, but um, I told them I would take on more responsibilities. You know, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't just want to be a rider. I said, I want to, I'll take care of the motorcycles. I'll race and I'll manage. I'll do it all. Whatever it takes. Well, because you were already kind of doing that. You know, and you're racing, you know, it's like the race, you know, the racing is not going to last forever. 
So, you know, you got to have a few backup plans. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I'll take some management role. You know, I know how to build the bikes. I have my business going too. So you had a lot, I had a lot of backup plans, you know, preparing ahead of time. And it's You helped manage the off-road Yeah, the whole off-road team. We all, we actually, all the riders kind of worked together, you know, because we wanted to be the best we could be. So we all did to put in the effort and work. And I had my big, I had my good contract that I was really happy with and I didn't have to do, you know, the shop stuff anymore, but I kept my business going. Yeah. And, you know, of course you just work 12, 14 hours a day, whatever it takes to get everything done that you got to do. And, um, then I got hurt. So like six months later at the Vegas Arena pre-run, I had my accident and I was paralyzed Hmm. and it's like, okay, well, you know, what are we going to do now? So you just, you know, you think a lot, but it's like, well, I'm still, I still have these things. I think I can do that. He still had the, I mean, luckily he had already set the business up and I was working at home. Mm Mm-hmm now with him because he got so busy he's like i need your help in the shop for like the online stuff and so for that so he got hurt and then he probably took about a year off we just stayed home while he recuperated and i didn't really have and got stronger i kind of put the business on hold we still were doing i was still doing stuff but um i was actually still managing the, the ktm team because you know they they basically said, we will pay you out your two-year contract. So it was awesome because they didn't just dump me. And a lot of companies mm-hmm. would have mm-hmm. just because it fi- you know, financially makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And they kept me on and paid me out my two-year contract and kept me to manage the off-road team. I did all the Baja stuff still and organized that. So, I mean, I got hurt in uh, August So I got hurt in August. I was laying in bed at rehab and we were, still pl- we were still planning the notes for Vegas to Reno so the team could continue and go and race. Wow. Because and they Cyril, didn't, they weren't, yeah, they didn't even, they, well, they didn't want to ask me like if they were going to, if we were going to race. And I'm like, I, I, I called Quinn. I'm like, dude, so what's the plan? Like, what are we doing here? He's like, well, we didn't want to bother you. We weren't just, we were just weren't going to race. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We got to test the guys. Got to test the motorcycle. <laughs> That's when we were still pushing, or we were trying to develop that Baja bike. Mm-hmm. And well, and Cyril was here. Cyril was here. He was supposed to race. Yeah. And we just literally, I'm laying in bed, and we're doing over all the race notes and making sure the plans all set. And they went and raced. They did well. And then right when I got home, I was home actually in like three weeks. So I was wow. hospital rehab for like two and a half weeks i busted through rehab as fast as i could met all the requirements enough to go home mm-hmm. as soon as i could people couldn't believe it. it's like three weeks you seem like, like you're a guy that, you know? that yeah. once you <laughs> determine that you're going to do something you oh yeah you know they make you work out and learn all the steps before you can you got to figure out how to get around and make sure you can do everything mostly on your own before they'll send you home it's like all right what's next what do we got to do what's he's, on the list he's pretty unique in that way like yeah. He just, and even I'm sure in his mind for his own mental state, he's like, no, I have to do this. I, have I don't have a choice. Obstacle. Yeah. yeah, I want to get home. I want to manage my team. I have to, you know, get back to working and get strong. And, you know, it's all these things. Yeah, he had his moments of breakdown and 
But as soon as he would do that, I would be like, no, come on. Nope, we're not going to have gonna a pity party. Because, of, yeah, I would go in the room and cry, but I didn't want him to see that. Right. I think it was harder on her than it was for me. Harder on the yeah. family, my parents. Harder than really hard. Just seeing. For, yeah, so the accident, you were in a pre-run Vegas Torino? Yep. Vegas Torino pre-run. Do they still pre-run? I didn't know that not they did. Really I don't think they do the, they think so they do the Vegas pre-run anymore. It was pre like a pre-run. Anymore. It was two days. They spread it out over two it was days. Fun. Those were fun. They were actually really, it was a good time, you know. Yeah. You got to hang out with your buds, you go yeah. riding. It was a two-day, you know? yeah, so yeah. Casey would do like a big barbecue Saturday night and give out his whistle dick awards and like, right. it was just fun. It was just a party. And then the next day, they'd get back on their motorcycles and the That's car fun. guys would be in their you yeah. know, you had to be in a licensed vehicle, right? Yeah, they had their nice pre-runners. Yeah. And stuff, you know? But every, when, when this happened, you know, everybody's... Whereabouts were you at when this happened? It was like 20 miles just out of Tonopah. Yeah. yeah. Just right the there. Tonopah. So right. right in the middle of no man's land. Uh, and this was the second day of the ride. Yeah. So we Did had just left that morning and... um you know, you like you skirt the hills just outside of Tonopah. You skirt the hills, and there's like some sand dunes out there, mm -hmm. some small sand dunes, and you, the road just kind of twists around them. And I just came around. I was a left-hand fast sweeper, and I ended up in a, like a silt rut from a truck. And of course, when you anytime you exit the silt rut, there's usually a big old six square or eight edge. inch curb, square edge. Mm -hmm. And I slid into the rut, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna ride it out. And you know what's coming, you know, you figure it's like, okay, it's gonna hurt, kind of prepare. And I stood up on the front wheel, and I was riding the front wheel for a ways, and I was really sure I had it. And then I hit like another big rock, and then I remember I was still holding on the handlebars when I, you know, plowed my head in the ground, mm -hmm. just wheeled myself. And I'm laying there, and I actually went to get up. I was still conscious and I went to get up and I'm like, okay, I can't get up. I'm laying on my back and I'm choking, you know, because I'm yeah. full of dirt and I don't know what's happening. I actually, I'm trying to get up and it's like, okay, this, well, is, this isn't a, working. He's wearing I, the neck brace so he can't I had the Leah neck brace and I'm like, just so weird, like, why am I pivoting right here but I can't feel anything? It was really weird and I couldn't even see if my legs were still there, which was freaky because mm -hmm. I'm on my back with a neck brace and you can't put your head down. Yeah. And you can't sit up, and it's like, this is really not good. And you couldn't yeah. feel anything. No, yeah. That's, and then, that's, um, you know, at first, I think Johnny was the first one that came up on me. And I, the first thing I asked, are my legs still there? And he's like, yeah, they're still there. I'm like, okay, I can't feel them, though. Mm. This is, you know, and I'm choking still because um, I'm paralyzed from the T7, which is like the just below my chest down. That's what I was going to ask. What but like your diaphragm, all this stuff shuts down so you can't breathe. Like it took me probably two years to even be able to talk like this because normally it's really shortness of breath wow. because your mm -hmm. body has to retrain other right. things to compensate. And yeah. that's why like I was choking and I remember laying there, they had a, everybody was there. Pretty much everybody the that came up pretty stayed. much stopped. And I mean, I had two, they made I had two race trucks next to me. They set up a canopy and an awning over me. You know, they strung some, mm -hmm. some, some cable and some stuff and put a tarp over to give me day. some shade. I laid there like three and a half hours for a helicopter. Mm. Wow. So I was definitely a lucky man. If I had any internal bleeding or something going on, I would have, that probably would have been it <laughs> for sure. Cause I laid there a long time <laughs> to get a helicopter and then it was still a long flight to Reno from there. Right. And, and we all take that chance. We swing our leg over the bike and 
Yeah, I mean, back then, I, I mean, I always thought about getting really hurt, but you know, you're thinking about breaking a bunch of bones and or dying, but you don't really think about being paralyzed. Yeah, because that wasn't really like a, a thing. Yeah, but that now you like thought about, so many you know? more. I don't know. And it happened. Been... It just seems like it happening happens a lot more, or you just hear about it more because all of our social media and other stuff mm-hmm. going on. Well, he and literally, it was one vertebrae, and it wasn't even. Yeah, it like just it, put, didn't it just even pushed in. It just put, I didn't sever my spinal cord, but it pushed in enough to cause damage. Mm-hmm. And the spinal cord, when it gets damaged, it actually hardens and then blocks the signals in that area to protect oh. itself. Mm-hmm. But it blocks all, a lot of the nerve signals. Wow, very yeah. strange. Yeah. You know, you, so learn, think, you learn a whole lot about your body when you get hurt. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'd never even been in the hospital before. I'd never had an injury where I even required and it was just, a surgery. It was overwhelming. This. Wow. So I think it, it really hit home with like a lot of our fellow riders and teammates because they were the ones that always got hurt. I was a solid guy that, you know, I got bumped and bruised, never really had any kind of serious injury. And then, you know, I get one, the one that takes me out, out of commission, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was shocking. Well, that's, that's very unfortunate, but I think you being the man that you are and what we've learned tonight, you've been able to hit it head on and still move forward yeah I mean I try to you know it's a lot more work being in a wheelchair and trying to work and do what you gotta do everything takes at least twice as long it's a more of a struggle but what are you gonna do sit there and cry about it right you know it's like you gotta move on you know I gotta provide for my family I gotta you know take care of business right right you know I wanna do what I like to do you do whatever it takes to we make it ha- we out. had to yeah. switch up our way of thinking because what happens is in the beginning of course you go into like this depression and i definitely mm-hmm. like i had to go to counseling you know you're watching your loved one your very physically active husband struggling and you're just like you're you're you got to be kidding me he's yeah. 27 years old and he's in a wheelchair like i had my major issues with it i got I just sunk into a hole. Well, it's tough when you're physically really able and fit, and then all of a sudden you're, well, on, you're on a you know you're on a huge struggle. Well, it's like wow, yeah. this is a and little they bit say, of a setback it, it, here. You, you know, it is like somebody died because of, it's just how you're. It's all registering, and like for me, like finally after about a year, I'm like, this is not going away. This is not going away. This is just how it's going to be. And from that moment on, I'm like. We have to change our way of thinking because I was just going down this hole of negativity. Can't do this. Soon. Well, you can yeah. go on a big depression. Yeah. I mean, literally, I'm at the high. Yeah. All the cool stuff happening. And you're still going up. I'm set with a bitching contract from KTM. Yeah. I have all these big plans. And then, I mean, I'm making my living racing dirt bikes. And it's all, it's you, gone. And your dream is gone. It's immediately yeah. like, this is not, this is it. Just That's like, not going to happen. So, what's next? Yeah. He's got to figure out what's so, next. You know? you know, we just had to switch switch it and be like, you know what? We just had to do a detour because of somebody else's plan, and um, we have to make the best of it. Yeah. You're not dead. Well, You're yeah. still here with you know, us. Yeah. Exactly. I have to say, all my, all my supporters, all my sponsors, Red Bull, even Troy Lee Designs, all those guys, they, they paid out my contracts. They kept me on the team and paid me still, just like they would do if I was racing. That's and I used all that money. And I went to rehab. 
um, Casey, all these guys, they raised a ton of money. All the truck guys, oh my gosh, everybody, they chipped in so much. And I spent every dime of it to go to rehab. Yeah. And to get better and get myself and back in action. Just like everybody would have wanted to see it do. Well, you know? mental, more for mental also. And not just physically, but... But, man, all those companies, I mean, they just... Well, and there was the, no question. Yeah. It's like, no, The no whole problem. off-road community. You know, we still... You're still... We'll still send the check and pay it out. We plan. These things happen. And yeah, it's like, amazing. you know what? That's freaking awesome. And all the clubs. Because otherwise, it's like, okay, clubs. now I'm stuck. What am I going to do? I could have left... You know, nobody left me hanging out high and dry. Which would have been really scary. Well, I wouldn't have let right. that happen. Right. I would have been making phone calls. <laughs> and, and props to you too, Patty, for sticking by his side. Cause Absolutely. Oh, man, I she's mean, like the warrior for me. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Thank you. But you're, yeah. You're too... I wouldn't have it any other way either, though. And I'm just that type of person. Um, I do have to fight for him a lot. We, we um, experience stupid things. Um, hotels, concerts. I mean... You don't even know. I try to let a lot of things go, but when she's other just people like, no, this is not right. I'm like, I know, but I don't like. No, to make like a when big we go to a motorcycle race and the line is a mile long, and they tell us we can't go park closer, and he has to walk down the street for a mile. Push the chair. Um, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Come on, really? Like yeah. a lot of people, you know, just don't understand. Like. Yeah. And, it, and the it's, stupid it's, it's things tough. we've it's been tough. through, yeah. just because he's in a chair. And I tell these people, God forbid you ever have a family member. Like, you're making it your inconvenience, but it's not your inconvenience. Mm -hmm. It's his. So let's give him, you know, a little bit of leniency tonight and just let him park a little bit closer. Right. And the people, the amount of people that we've had to, I've had to argue. It's crazy. I'm like, we don't want extra anything. Just help the guy a little bit. Well, I don't even think of it as helping me. I feel bad for people that are in way worse situations than well, me that have to old, deal with it. You know, I mean, elder, I, get, I get around pretty well myself. Like, uh, like the elderly I don't really people. Complain. The handicapped like, people that are oh elderly. Oh my gosh, it it's shouldn't like, be this difficult. We go to hotels. For a little, and, a little oh, extra. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's like. Like yeah. our, all the handicap, we book handicap rooms all the time. We get there. I'm sorry, your room's been sold. What do you mean it's been sold? We've had it reserved for months. This has happened many times. So we're in a handicap room at the main casino, and I can't take a shower. Mm. I can't physically use the shower. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Because it's a bathtub. Then we come here and it's perfectly set up, exactly how it should be. And it's like, this is awesome. A roll-in shower. Like, how does that yeah. work out? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, we could <laughs> go on like and on with crazy. that, and we yeah. won't. But yes, we have. But I feel bad. I always think about others. It's like, okay, I'll clean. It's not a big deal. But somebody that actually needs certain things, it's like, man, that would that's frustrating. So, so Chris, how has yeah, it's crazy. with your injury. How has how have you been able to help others, and how has that affected you mentally and, and I mean, it's awesome to be able to help other people, especially going through this. Cause, I mean, I took it pretty well and was able to deal with it, but some people just have no, I you know, they just don't know how to dig themselves out of the hole, you know? Right. Well, they don't know what the next step is. Like, what am I going to do? I see you like as that. being a great role yeah. model, and I, I, I believe you are. I mean... You're now one of my heroes now that I know you and sat down with you. So, so a good example is my buddy Kyle Carpenter. He 
was injured in a dirt bike accident at Glen Helen with the spinal cord injury, and he's at Loma Linda Rehab where I went, and I know I had we had a friend come in and he you know he talked to us and showed us how to do different things and you know just his experience, and they actually told him because he lived in the high desert. Hey, you need to hook up with Chris and go check out what he's got going on. And he was in the depression. He was, he was not he good. He was young. Was he 19? Yeah, he was young. Not good. Or yeah, 18, just in 19? Really depression, stuck at home, doesn't know what the heck's going on. And his parents brought him over. And then I got him, I suckered him into the RC cars. <laughs> I'm like, hey, dude, I'm doing RC racing now because you got to do something. You know, be competitive and keep your mind occupied. Mm-hmm. I got him into that. He was, became, me and him would be battling it out. He was a badass RC racer, too. And then about, it took him like eight months, and he actually, um, he's an incomplete spinal cord injury. So he actually walk. he started walking again wow. and getting around decent. Mm-hmm. He still has a lot of muscle mm-hmm. groups that don't work or they're, I would say like short circuits, you know, so he has minimal (laughs) strength in certain things. Hmm. Then he worked at the RC shop, RC place. And then now he's been working for me the last five years now. Yeah. And he's going to nursing school. Yeah. And he's going to nursing school. And he's graduating this year. Yeah. He's probably another, I'll have him another six or eight months. And he's doing awesome. He'll be a nurse. And it's like, dude, that's so awesome, you know, from the full depression to making some of himself and finding a path, you know? It's pretty rad. So yeah. you're obviously a yeah. high role model to him. So that's, yeah, we yeah. try. I try to teach. If anybody's willing to learn, I try to teach them as much as I can. Right. You know, you and learn I, all this stuff, and you want to pass it up. You know, we don't have kids, but I enjoy hanging out with the younger guys, and you know, teaching well, them a few them things and, and helping them. Because it's like, yeah. man, if I would have known. If I was your age and knowing all the stuff I know now, I'd have been a little, quite a bit farther ahead of the game, you know. Well, but yeah, I mean, about a year after the injury is when the side by side thing kind of started coming around. Two thousand eight. So we yeah, bought, like the we, players came out with their you know their eight hundred razor. It was the first kind of sport side by side. Yeah. And I bought one. Of course, couldn't help myself. I bought well, one. Well, he's like, I'm gonna start doing this. I called around a few <laughs> friends I knew, and I had some guys help me out. Some, you know, HRT Motorsport helped me out with some suspension. My buddy Chris Hawk, I used to work with that Honda, was doing his own thing, and he got me dialed in with some stuff. They built me a cage, and then, like, we're off to, like, the work races. And that's back when there was, like, eight cars total, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. in the beginning. The good old days. Yeah. Now there's a ton. Deep classes. And so oh, I did, yeah. we did that for a few years, and then I just, I mean, I, I was dumping a lot of money into it, and I just needed a break to kind of catch up. Spend it too much on racing and having fun. Well, because then the the, <laughs> the newer cars were coming, the bigger ones with the more horsepower, and the little 800 wasn't keeping up anymore. I couldn't just, like, reinvest and start over again. So then I started, we just started running our own little team. I started helping the young guys. And, you know, I started my connection with dirt KTM bikes. and dirt bikes. Yeah. And, uh, that you know, was fun, helping. Yeah, KTM would help me. Of... I would buy a bike. They would loan me a bike and some parts and... I started building that because I had all my connections from my spawn. I'm like, well, I'd like to share that. So I got to help a lot of them with product and the kids that what fun. they need. And we did that for a long time too. Many years. And Skyler, we helped Skyler. Yeah. And... It's cool to see Skyler go do all the cool things he did. And he yeah. basically 
we were the first people that gave him a chance. Yep, I remember that. Those things, so. like, yeah, like a two fifty or three hundred blade racer. Yeah, three hundred. Three hundred. Yeah, two stroke, right? Yeah, we did two stroke. I had a rider on a four stroke, and it was he he blew up a lot of engines and broke. <laughs> he always poke holes in the clutch covers or the ignition <laughs> covers and run them on. I'm like, man, this is expensive. Yeah, so that would be Morgan. Morgan, our buddy Morgan, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> he was always a destroyer. But then it was fun because then we helped some little guys, and I mean, we, we just did had a little a class. bit early. I think at one time we had six, six, six or seven. Guys. Yeah, you had at one point. Yeah, yeah, we did that for quite a while, and coming out to the races, you know, the Heron Hounds, and then after that for a bit, Chris. What Skyler? Yeah, Skyler wanted to ride a four-stroke, and I just, I just as a business decision, it wasn't a good business decision for me. To invest, and he, he wanted to do that, and I didn't help him back. I was all for it. He wanted to do his, you know, put a program together and try to do his own thing, and it's like all for it, man. I give anybody credit who wants to make things happen. Right. You know, of course, he realized how hard it is <laughs> once yeah. he decided to do his thing, but you know, he he made it all work out. And then after that, I don't know. I just hadn't really found. You wanted to start kind the, of well. Then you were doing that sprint car thing, which I hated. I had to go back raising something, so we did some little mini sprint. I did not like They're like that. quarter midget sized cars mm -hmm. with a Jawa Speedway bike motor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had like 200 pounds and 75 horsepower on methanol. Right. It was right. kind, of, kind of fun for a little while. I did not like that. Fit, it was just like, well, this kind of fits into how much I want to spend every month, you know, right. on racing. And then. Honestly, to me, that was like a hillbilly thing, not. <laughs> and I'm like, no, my husband. I like to go more than five so minutes much, at a time. He is so much better than this. Hanging out at the fairgrounds on a Saturday night, <laughs> going in circles, and they're not classified by skill level or age. It's by the size of your motor. So he's out there with 15 year olds that, that are smashing like, into him. Let's just center punch you to get you. And I'm like, no. I, I was so, I was like, I can't stand it. I'm a nervous wreck. I did that like two years. <laughs> I did not like I got, it. You know, it was a freaking super adrenaline. I did not sure, like it. It was like five minutes of fury. It wasn't fun you know? for me to like, watch. Are those the cars that have like the wing? No, top, these ones no, didn't have, they didn't they have the wing, okay. but they it was, were kind of It was like a that. tiny little go-kart with a roll cage and okay. a whole lot of power. Yeah, too much <laughs> power for a quarter. One speed. Eight, no, thing, it was an eighth mile. like five to 70 miles an hour, I think just spun the tires everywhere. It had wow. so much power. Huh. And it's like, okay, this is a little wild, you know? And it was cool, but until you know, until you got bumped, and now you're doing a cartwheel yeah, over the cartwheel. Yeah, I got cartwheeled once, and I like, broke my toe, and it's like, okay, <laughs> well... <laughs> In like, this yeah. little aluminum thing, and I'm like, I'm oh like, my man, God. with no suspension, you land back, it's like, that freaking hurts, you know, yeah. that hurts bad. And I'm like, no, we can't do this. We got to get him back into off-road. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then the, so the Can-Am came out. No, my plan worked. I said, I'm going to go do this quad race in Arizona. Let's take out the 800 one more time yeah, just before you sat, sell it. just sat there. And he's like, Okay. So we go, I do the quad race. The Mormon Jeep. Yeah, Mormon, the Mormon Lake. Lake. Mormon Lake. Yeah, Grand with Prix. ACOP. And then he goes, okay, as soon as you're done, you got to hop in here. And then, because my race is next. And he had so much fun doing that race. Dude, we were just, <laughs> we were passing dudes in 1,000s and just 
we're like the you know the head of this whole race, the show. We're like the little the little the car little that could, you know, no <laughs> power. You know that place is like seven thousand feet, so you got like thirty five horsepower, and you're passing up turbo cars, you know. <laughs> and it was so dusty, but just because I had just raced for an hour, I she's like calling out the turns, and I'm like, man. We Go were all up. That's the first time she ever even raced with me, ever. So yeah. you were in the car, car with them? Yes. Because okay. I always take two ever. people because it's way more fun, even yeah. on a GP, even though you're at a weight disadvantage. Right. And I think so. he started like 30th, and he ended up like 5th overall or something. Nice. People and were like, then, holy crap, how did you do that? In that yeah. Everybody was like, that was so badass. Oh, my God. Dude, and we then, were cutting people. It was it was awesome. Then, <laughs> when we got home, he goes, he, then. I'm like, all right, he suckered me back in. I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay, now he's like, I want to get a new Can-Am. Well, the Can-Am came well, out let's, let's take a little break right there before our okay. show oh, yeah, and then we'll sure. come back and, sure. and hear that whole story. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back and talk about where you're at now and maybe wrap this thing up. Okay. This, this is a good show. I'm excited. And I want to stop. <laughs> but let's take a little break. Yeah. And now, time for tip of the show. Brought to you by Throw Me a Bone. You can find them at theantlerchew.com. So go check them out. Get your dog a chew toy, which is an uh, an elk or a deer antler cut up just for the size for your dog. My dog loves hers. Go check them out. So we're going to talk about four quick, simple things to help maintain your dirt bike. Eric, what is the first thing you think? Yeah, so right off the bat for me, super basic, change your oil. Um, change it often. It's very inexpensive way to extend the life of your motor. So change your oil, change your oil filter, keep that in top condition, use good quality grade oil, and uh, that's number one for me. Right. Next would be clean your air filter. I know you guys that are riding more so in the desert, not so much on a track or not so much back east where it's a little wetter, but us here in the desert, it is dusty and it is hot, it is dry. So it is very crucial to change your air filter often. I probably change mine after every ride and I take it off, I clean the filter, and there's several different ways to clean it. As long as it's cleaned, clean the little bead that's inside the air box with a rag, get that, that grease, and then you spray the oil on it, you grease the seal, you put it back in, and you're good to go. Yeah, quick quick uh, tip on this one, what I like to do, and it's something that I've found recently that works really good. Um, I will buy two or three air filters for, for my bike. So I'm on a 2019 KTM 450. I'll buy three filters for that bike. And um, I kind of got into a routine using the Twin Air kit. And I mean, you can do this however. I'm, I'm not sponsored or, or anything by Twin Air. So, but I do like their products, especially for the air cleaner, air filter cleaner. Um, but they have a, a cleaning bucket that has like a little basket thing in the bottom that keeps your filter off the bottom so all the dirt falls to the bottom but doesn't get your filter dirty and then they have a filter cleaning solution that goes in the bucket so you literally just dip your filter in there and 
man, the dirt just falls off. It's awesome. Um, couple minutes there, dirt just falls off of it. You take it out, wash it. Uh, in my shop, I have a sink, but I mean, you could use the hose outside or whatever. Wash it off, um, set it out to dry, and then I use the Twin Air uh, filter oil, and not the spray-on type. I use the you know the the type that you would pour out of a can, you know, out of the Twin Air can, and I I put I use one gallon uh, Ziploc bags. And I put my filter in the Ziploc bag, pour some oil in there, knead it together, and then I leave those filters prepped in a Ziploc bag. It's nice and clean. I can grab them and take them to the race or wherever I'm going, and I always have a clean filter. So then I'll, I'll do, when it's time to do f clean filters, I'll clean two or three of them at a time, bag them, and they're ready to go. So that way when I'm in a bind and need to go for a ride, I have a clean filter sitting there, and mm -hmm. I'm not like thinking, oh, I don't want to clean that filter right now. Um, so then you go ride with a dirty filter and just suck dirt in your intake. So, so that's, that's my process, but works well. Another tip on that is if you're in a long race, they have what they have called a filter skin. You ever use those, Eric? Yeah. Yep. We use those in Baja quite often. So today during our Nevada 300 race, the girls were racing and we they decide to change an air filter halfway through the race. If we would have used a filter skin, it probably would have saved us a lot of time. Mm -hmm. We probably were stuck there a couple minutes. They had a hard time getting it back in, snapped in there. They were on a KTM and it just comes off the side panel. But as like my bike, Yamaha two-stroke, you have to take the seat off, pull it out, everything. Filter skins halfway through a long distance race, pull it out and you've got like a new filter. Yeah, check those out. They they have a little string that just comes out of the airbox, and you can literally just pull that string, and it pulls the filter skin off. And it's kind of like a pantyhose that wraps yep. around your filter. Yep, it's just an extra layer, and especially in like so like Baja and the silt and stuff. Um, yeah, those come in pretty handy. So check those out. Uh, anyway, tip that's uh, tip two on your maintenance, and then uh, tip three tonight will be. Check your tire pressure before you go ride. Just do a quick pressure check. Get one of those little cheap tire pressure testers that goes down to, you know, probably 5 PSI or something. Um, have that handy. Check your pressure. And don't go ride with low pressure because you're likely going to get a pinch flat, especially if you're riding in Nevada. How much so. air pressure do you put in your moose bibs? So, yeah, I quit running tubes because I don't like changing flats. And um, it just, yeah, with the riding that I do now, I pretty much just have defaulted to, to mooses. But when I was running tubes, I preferred, strongly preferred the Bridgestone Ultra Heavy Duty, and I ran 13 to 14 PSI. Exactly. I run 12 to 13 to 14. Yep. Another tip on this, I don't know if you've heard this, Eric, but I was taught this many years ago. If you're running a tube and your valve stem that pokes out the, the rim, you have your little nut that tightens it down and then your valve stem cap. I'd put my valve stem cap on all the way and then I would loosen the nut to, to the valve stem cap. Yeah, so back of, it off so it's free-floating kind of, right? So it's not touching the rim. 
but touching the valve stem. So you got that play. So if you hit a rock and it, it compresses or whatever, it's not ripping the valve stem off the tube. off yeah through through the rim and ripping it off yeah so yeah. that was a pretty good tip I, I don't think i've ever had a valve stem problem since huh or just run mooses or run moose yeah we won't defer to brand because they don't sponsor our show but <laughs> there's a couple brands out there mooses are great uh i love them but I'm not sold on them yet. I know my girlfriend Ashley runs them when possible. I'm getting there. <laughs> Change right. a few more tires, you'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last little thing on our tip would be keep your chain lubricated. So there are O-ring chains and there are non-O-ring chains, and you need to be careful about what kind of lube you use on them. If you use the wrong kind of lube on the O-ring change, the O-rings will kind of start to disintegrate crack and crack, and, and, yeah. and then then your chain will fail. And that's the last thing you want is your chain, or anything for that fact, to fail when you're out there away from your truck in the middle of nowhere, especially if you're in a race, racing. You don't want to break yeah. down for something stupid that you could have prevented. So... Anything else on chains, Eric? Yeah, so lube is your friend, especially when friction's involved. So don't be afraid to lube your chain. <laughs> and uh, I always, you know, try to carry a master link with me also. Mm -hmm. um, and more important than that, uh, chains do have a life span, I guess, if you will. Um, they do wear out. So... Don't just think you can just run your chain till it breaks. I mean, or you'll likely be in the middle of a race or something in DNF due to, you know, lack of maintenance. So, but by lubing your chain, it's going to, again, prolong the life of the chain and always have it at the right tension too. Yep. So look in your book and specifications on what your chain's supposed to be the tension on. Also, um, I think it's a good idea if you changed your chain, you should change both your sprockets too. Yeah, that's kind of my common practice. So if Same I here. do a chain, I do a sprocket, and that way my drive components are all fresh at the same time. So. And then on your, your master link, you have, I was taught this early on too, the outside clip, it kind of looks like a fish and your fish should always swim upstream like in nature so the direction your chain goes make sure that little clip looks like it's going a fish in that direction yeah so yeah on this basically he's saying that you can put your clip on backwards and you by doing that the chain's moving forward up from the top down towards the front of the bike and the little clip on your master link should be facing backwards so that as it goes forward it's not going to catch on something and pop your master link clip off yeah, you can hit a rock or a bush <clears throat> or even the chain guide and snap it off yep and yep. then you're then so. you're going to lose the chain <coughs> 
anyway, so that's our four simple tips for tonight. Uh, keeping it plain and simple. And uh, don't forget to go and check out Throw Me a Bone, theantlerchew.com. All right, get back to the show. All righty. All right, guys, we're back. And uh, where we left off, uh, Patty's plan worked. Something about the, the car. So what, what was your plan getting, again, Patty? Getting Chris back into off-road because he that's just like where you he need belongs. To, you need to get out of that circle track stuff. I and... did not like that contacts hillbilly stuff i just didn't i'm sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry i just yeah. didn't like it sorry for the use of the word hillbilly. <laughs> that's all right that's, that's i just did not like that um, so so you yeah. talked him into buying he, a Canon he or... was too good for for that for me in my well, eyes like well, the talent i'm like he's so talented in the desert we can't be just doing this right now so he, he i think the new can-am was coming out or so Ken Hammond just came out with their, you know, their new, their new car, which is awesome, the X3, and I mean, there's the golden rule is you never buy the first year of a brand new model that comes out because they're gonna change it, they're gonna update it, they're gonna fix a lot of problems, and she's like, just buy one, you know, she's like the best wife ever because she just tells me just to buy one. Well, he's like, there's a difference in price. Between this and this and this. And I'm like, like, you know, these are like $30,000 to buy one of these. So, and then to set up the racing is another $30,000. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I can't just do this I'm like, like that. Because I'm like, I can't just buy it and not do everything. I need to. I'll be mad if I can't just go right out and race <laughs> it. So I'm like, I'm just going to wait. I put it off for a whole year put it off for a whole year and just worked my butt off and saved up money that I knew I was gonna need to build it. And I still had no idea what it was really gonna cost. It was just guessing. And I got the car and I'm like, okay, well, we gotta, you know, I took it out a couple of times stock and it's like, dude, these things are impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, and they are very impressive vehicles. They're fast, you know, you're talking almost 200 horsepower and then I'm like, all right, I gotta get this set up for racing. I need a suspend. I need. I'm gonna need suspension. Clutching is extremely important. I gotta find a fabrication shop willing to help me. You know to do that's a lot of expensive stuff to it. Now I had to buy all the gear and the helmets and fire suits and tires and wheels and all this stuff. It's like, oh gosh, okay. It all adds up. It all adds up really fast. So. The first people I hit up was Kenda because we had them a good deal with them for our dirt bike stuff. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. No problem. We'll take care of you on all your side-by-side stuff. They totally stepped up. No questions asked. Hmm. Transferred all my budget stuff over from the dirt bike thing right into the car part and the car tires. I mean, they were stoked. Cool. I don't think they had anybody on their tires really then. Hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that just, that's a huge... I mean, it's tires are... Especially in a car, she has a huge support and a lot of, you know, you spend yeah. a lot of money on tires. And then um, I hit up a couple people suspension and right away this a suspension guy got a hold of me and he's like, I'm not doing it, but I know who you are. My buddy Tom would probably love to help you. We kind of work together. And my he's a new friend of mine, Tom Morris. He stepped right up, no questions asked. And said, let's get your car dialed in. He's like, I'd love to work with you. He actually worked with Kellen mm -hmm. and a lot of the race truck stuff and that too. 
and he was stoked and I'm like man it's awesome to find people that are passionate about it and Tom's like so that's his life too it, yeah. his life is off road and racing and whatever it is to make everything better and I'm like okay there's a huge key right there and then my the clutch guy that I hit up this guy Chris Worth from KWA Clutching the next day he was like I'm on board just hmm. let's get you dialed in no, I'm like, man, this is amazing just to find that kind of help. And that was, of course, all the things I was stressed out about, mm-hmm. you know, the main key features. And then I called my buddy Chuck, and he hooked me up with RJ Fabrication. They did a great job. They built my cage, and they gave me a smoking deal on that. And, I mean, everybody stepped up. I got um, Dirt Wheels Magazine, the editor there, Carl Kramer. Um, I hit him up, and he agreed that he would do a magazine article on the build which is a huge help because I'm like, okay, now I have something I can help sell to get more people on board to, you know, just build it mm-hmm. easier off the start. Because, you yeah. know, I only had a certain amount of budget to spend. And sure. It's a whole bunch to build a car. It's, I mean, dirt bikes feels like pennies on the dollar, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. And it just, man, everybody impact, Mastercraft, they helped me out with gear and they got me helmets and... Radio stuff it was a huge, so how was, huge support. How was putting the hand controls in it and that kind of thing? Um, I had already had the so I had my the same hand control that I use in all my regular vehicles. I had in my Razor, my old eight hundred, and I'm like, I just want to use the same. It's just natural because you're, you're used to them. Yeah. Um, and literally spent it took about a day to kind of figure it out and get it all in there. And then I'm really picky because it has to be right. When you got to steer with one arm, the ergonomics, everything has to be positioned just right. It took me four steering wheels to figure out offsets and diameters that work the best. Wow. And then, you know, seat position. So, you know, just a few, a half inch forward or back on the seat or the offset on the wheel and spacers and tipping the seat. It all changes the feel. And it's like, you know, you got to be a little more pickier when you only have your upper extremities to do everything. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm not used to, or I'm not familiar with the hand controls and, and that. Mm-hmm. So is it like a dirt bike where you got like a, th- a twist throttle and a clutch? So a lot of guys have tried a lot of different what do you, what do you lot of different setups. So mine is basically just the mechanical system. It's a lever I use on the left side for throttle and brake. So throttle is actually you push down for throttle and you push forward for brake. And you can actually do them at the same time. So it's just like a like you would drive a race car with two feet. So you can modulate throttle and brake. You can drag the brake. Just like you do on a dirt bike. You drag the rear brake to control how much power you're putting to the ground. So I can do all that with that hand control set. Because some guys use a pole. So it's like a joystick or just a it's just shifter? A, like almost it's like just a shifter like a handle, bar. like a handlebar handle. Okay. Yeah, and down is throttle and then forward's brake. Okay. And it's all mechanical. It just literally it just bolts right onto the pedals. Hmm. And I wanted to keep it simple in case I ever had opportunities to race with somebody else. Because a normal person can get in my car and race it, and they won't even know the hand controls are there. <laughs> so you can do the same. You can put the hand controls in someone else's car. You know, if you make all the sophisticated stuff like some people use, then you're the only one that can drive that car. Right. You know, I have people, you know, my wife's loading the car, my friends load the car. If they use the hand controls, accidents happen. It's very dangerous when you don't have your brain programmed to how the things work for loading and unloading, especially in the toy hauler that it barely fits in. 
So it just made <laughs> more sense scary. to do it that way. It is I just scary. keep my foot on the brake. I had my friend, another paraplegia, his wife decided to load his car, help, you know, they have, because I can't get out of the car on the trailer or in the trailer. And she drove it right over the flatbed and into the bed of his truck oh. at the car and <laughs> smashed up a few things. It's like, uh-oh. uh-oh. You know, it did throttle instead of brake on accident. <laughs> so I did that just to keep it simple, and that's what I was used to, and it, you know, works out fine. I'm can still I don't feel like I'm at a disadvantage. You know, I tried a couple yeah. different power, you know, different power steering unit. Usually run a higher power unit to make it a little easier, mm-hmm. and yeah, just, just figure it out. It out. It's, yeah. fair, it's fairly simple to adapt a side by side. So are you racing it? You are racing it now. Yes. Or? So I started racing and I bought a 2018 model and that's I, you know it took me three or four months to build it out it's just a it's lot pretty, of, it's a lot of work it's pretty quick yeah. it's pretty quick yeah. it's a lot of work i went simple i didn't do a fuel cell and all this extra stuff just for the local races um i didn't want to just jump right in financially i just mm-hmm. i know i'm a i'm a thinker so i'm <laughs> like if i build my you know if i build up at the local races, i can gain more support and it's less out of pocket and it makes more sense so I just been taking my time. Went out to the AV or Cal City Series, first year out, um, won a bunch of races, won the championship right off the bat. Nice. Had pretty much zero issues. Then we did right after that we did the Sonora Rally. Mm-hmm. Went to Sonora Rally, first rally I've done since I've been hurt. I'm like, we gotta go to Mexico. You haven't done Baja. You know, I just had like these yeah. things on the list. A rally. Like, All right, we got we can do in a one. while. I'm like, I saved up enough. We can do one big race. You know, and go try it out. And it's like rally format, something that's kind of been on my list to do. Things items. you still wanted to do and yeah. you didn't necessarily get to, but now you got that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And then we went there in the car and we won. And we actually beat all the four-wheel vehicles. And we're like fourth overall out of all everybody. We only got beat by three bikes. That's awesome. In the whole race. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then went back. Literally after the Sonora Rally, when we went back in the next weekend, I raced Cal City in the same car. We had a couple of issues, but um, just kept our points going. We won the championship again, and yeah, just yeah. Then we started the DP doing some of those DP four races, new local our series. Local, yeah, we won a couple of those races in between, and now I built a new car. We've got a 2020. Uh, Can-Am actually I have a contract with Can-Am small one to get started cool. so I worked my way in with them yeah good and just building that relationship it was nice to get them you know to believe in me and help me out for the local stuff and so we bought a 2020 and we I, we built it out a bunch of people helped again no question no problem so it just made it made it feasible and doing that again we only got to race it two times all this covid stuff going on yeah yeah so um, very cool yeah just going from there yeah. we, my plan is i plan to race best in desert next year we're gonna build a full-blown race car um one of my main competitors at our local ave races this guy mitchell alsop and he started his own business he's building race cars um we're building a first one the first of his own chassis a full chassis car and we're going to work with him to help develop that 
hopefully before Vegas to Reno. Mm -hmm. And then mine will come a few months later. Kind of cool. still working on that and saving yeah. up again. Yeah. So we're teaming up together. He needed some. I've seen a lot of potential in him. I mean, he's young. And I kind of want to share my experience to help him. And then him building the cars helps me. So combining just made really good sense for the both of us to get to where we want to be. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to share nowadays. It's really strange. Hmm. They don't want to share everyone's a separate team. They try to be all secret. And <laughs> there's a lot of things that people combine, they could be so much further ahead with the knowledge, yeah. you know. Just, would, mm -hmm. Kind of do and bring in like a way that we do dirt bikes. The car thing just doesn't, it's not the same as the dirt bikes. We all work as a team to really do it. A lot of these teams keep their little secrets separate and Mm -hmm. things that they do so I don't know it's just different it is yeah. different I don't mind sharing I like the competition if I can better someone else so I can have a better battle with them I'm all for it that's yeah. cool yeah that's cool yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's where we're at right now and I'm pretty excited I'm excited, to, excited. To, to look out for you and watch watch you take on that new role that's gonna be pretty cool you know I'm, I'm like I'm like I got I got one more chance I want to try to do one more one more time and see <laughs> if I can get a you know be at the top of my game one more time and I'll be a happy man yeah, that's <laughs> and cool. hopefully show someone else and bring them bring them along too well you already have I, can, you I mean you don't realize how many people you influence like people send me mess I got a message last night um on my private like Instagram and the guy was telling me good luck in my race today and all this and I don't even know who this person is and he said you know I love following you and Chris you guys are so positive um, I raced Baja what did he say so many 20 years ago or something and he just was like reminiscing but at the same time you know you don't realize how much you're influencing us and this and that and I'm just like that was the nicest random out of the blue message and I get messages like that once in a while and it's just like wow I know I get cool stuff and you just, just don't it's, you know even I mean it feels anybody. weird it feels weird sometimes you're like oh, I'm not trying to be inspirational to I'm just doing yeah. my thing well but you that's know? what and I was going to say like everybody in their day to day life hopefully influences you know many people you just don't realize it well, like my we you know we met my buddy chris worth kwi and i hooked mitchell up with him um this you know yesterday and he was just stoked i'm like dude i really like this guy and we, we want to work together he's like you know what, chris whatever you want to do just let me know i want to be a part of it and it's mm -hmm. like you know that's really rad you know he's like do yeah. you inspire me I wish more people would do and be, have the passion and this. I'm like, dude, that's rad, you know? It's just, it's so awesome to surround yourself with people that really that mm -hmm. excited about right. what you're doing and really want to be the best. Well, and for the right reasons. Because I'm used to doing, I was used to doing that with the dirt bike thing, and then when you don't have that, it's very strange. It is. Like, you don't, when you just hang out, I guess we could say with normal people, it's just well, different. And then pe you know? some people do things for the wrong reasons, and it's like, you know just I don't know yeah. like their image or like oh I want to be connected with this person because of this this and this and like Chris is nothing like that it's I guess when you race like everything's like that's like the normal that yeah. feels like the normal and then when you 
normal feels really boring. After that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. we've said this, this. We've said that a lot. You know that uh, desert racers are a different breed. You know, mm-hmm. but, but definitely, yeah, for sure. it's good people. I think if everybody got yeah. on a dirt bike or a or a race something in the desert, the world wouldn't be where it is today. I, know, right? I agree with that. Hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Yes. So, Amen. Chris, I got a couple questions for you. Um, so, what would you tell, say, a beginner rider or, or a person that wants to start racing, riding dirt bikes? What, what kind of tip or advice. advice would you give them? I mean, just, you know, you want to go out there and have fun and you just, you want to just progress, take your time. I don't think there's ever any big rush to you know force anything that you want to do if you know you got to chase your dreams if you really have that dream I don't care if you're a beginner you know shoot for your dream you know if you want to be start somewhere want to be a race you got to start somewhere we all started somewhere yeah. Um, yeah it's just you know you can't pass up those you know things that you want to do and stuff for con- the consequences right everything we do has consequences <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> and carry water. <laughs> Always. Wear a camel pack. That, that's been one of our tips of the show. Yeah. One of our first Carry water and wear all the gear. Dude, I used to wear elbow pads. People make fun of me. I'm like a professional wearing elbow pads. I'm like, hey, when I hit the ground, I want something to take the first impact so I can continue riding my dirt bike. Not be all bashed up, yeah. Oh yeah, look at that elbow. Like you got elbow pads. Look like, at that. Yeah, I got some. I'm like, yeah, look beat. at your arm. Is that from today? Uh, yeah, I went down. I took a little, came off a little off camera, uh, high speed section, and and I let off the throttle, and the D cell was a little bit stronger than I was expecting, oh. and it sent me into a slide, so I slid out. Yeah, there was. I missed a few turns today. Yeah. Overshot some stuff. <laughs> Screamed a lot. Today, I heard you. Yeah, yeah, you probably yeah, did. Know, right? Today was definitely, I felt like a girl riding today. Not, no offense to girls, but yeah, I screamed a lot today. And you were out there, though. That's awesome. No, I know. I know. It's just been, it's been nine months since I've raced, and I, I just was like, it took me a few miles to really get into it again. It was, when you hop on and you got to go full tilt right away, it's like there's no time to warm up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just like, yeah. wow, I'm going so fast. <laughs> but it's still fun. Yeah, the course today went from zero to like as fast as you got. Uh, right off for the, the first, yeah, yeah 20 for miles. Long periods of long time. Ways. I'm like, oh my so. gosh. Yeah. Well, awesome. We really appreciate you guys. I, I too admire you guys. And, it, you know, it is awesome to see such a success story even after an injury like you know yeah. yours and um you yeah, know thank you. you don't realize those that you have an impact on but yeah i don't think we really do it's pretty awesome it's nice to see to your success and, and i think you yeah you know have a purpose and have, have yeah. blessed a lot of other people so yeah thank super you. cool and we appreciate you guys awesome. coming on super, yeah thanks super for having super us it's been super fun. really fun yeah. Thank so if somebody wanted to reach out to you or follow you on Instagram, what's your Instagram deal? It's, it's Blaze Racing Services. Blaze Racing. Yeah. And it's a public page, so. Okay. Um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Mostly, you know, race stuff, photos, videos. A little bit of everything. Stuff in the shop. I get goofy. I was wearing a unicorn head the other day. 
<laughs> I think I saw that. We're doing putting oil in my quad, like just trying to keep it fun. Yeah, yeah. Some people are keep it fun and promote way the too serious. <laughs> yeah, promoting our sponsors. Thank yeah. God for Patty and uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's, I'm okay with it, but she's she's the queen. For I sure. just it's goofy. <laughs> it's just goofy fun. Like I don't know. Some people use it to you know they want to I don't know. They want to be a model or something, but I use it for goofy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Well, Thank I guess we could uh, wrap this up a little bit. I know if you wanted to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook at KD Eric or on Instagram at The Desert Dirt Biker or on Facebook under KD Eric. So Yeah, check us out. Give us a like. Give us some comments on the show and uh, let share. us know. Share with your friends. Let us know how it's going. Yeah. So on that note, again, thank you, thank you so much for coming all the way over here, and sure, it's yeah. been a long day for all of us. We were up at what four, yeah, five, know, something right? like that, raced through the desert on the bikes and in pit trucks. Oh yeah, yeah, so, I did my racing on the highway. It was fun. <laughs> we did, yeah. Fun. So, all right, thank you guys. Thank you. Catch you next week.